Welcome to the SureDog Radio Network preview for UFC Fight Night 237, Moreno versus Royval 2, also known as UFC Mexico. I'm your host, Ben Duffy of SureDog.com. With me, as usual, is Keith Schillen, the executive producer of the SureDog Radio Network. Keith, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing good, man. It's a pretty crazy day. We we finished up uh, UFC 298 late last night to probably about, you know, 3... 3.30 in the morning. I was in a wrestling tournament uh, very shortly after. I spent most of the day there. But this, And this is kind of how my life is. It's, I mean, you know, this is like peak wrestling time in November, uh, end of February, excuse me, till early March is like tournament season, sectionals at the sectional tournament this weekend. and uh, But nothing can get me out of a funk, get away from wrestling, than going down to Mexico, seeing a bunch of Mexican guys under under 150 pounds just beating the shitty out of each other because I mean that's what Mexican fighters are known for. They've been known for badass dudes who go throw heat, throw power, very like Bo Nickel like, just guys who go oh. in there and throw those hands. Absolutely. I mean, and you already mentioned that this card is heavily weighted towards the lighter weight classes because I mean, let's face it, if Bo Nickel was Mexican, he'd probably be like center on their national basketball team. He's like six foot three, but. <laughs> <laughs> Bo Nickel with the sky hooks. Um, no, I, I mean, you you already uh, jumped the gun on one of the things I was going to point out. Uh, this card obviously is in Mexico City. Mexico City, for those who don't know or those who picture Mexico and you're picturing one of, you know, the, the Clint Eastwood Westerns where they're out there on the flat desert. No, Mexico City is at 7,000 feet. It's higher than Denver. It's higher than Salt Lake City. It's I mean, it's higher than any Diaz brother. Not as high as Diaz brother, but it's not as high as a Diaz brother. But it's up there, and the UFC learned that perhaps to its chagrin when Cain Velasquez, the best cardio heavyweight of all time, gassed out in like seven minutes there uh, at the UFC on Fox One. There's going to be no sea level Cain controversy here, as there is not a single fight on this 13 fight card above lightweight. Uh, gotta love yeah. that. I mean, I, I love that on general principle. Yeah. I mean, give me that, like, one out of every three fight nights, I would never complain. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like, 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 thank God, uh, Justin Daffa and Marco Sajira Delima, that, that didn't get moved to this week. Um, anyways, <laughs> I didn't ask, how you doing, man? I'm, I'm doing great, man. Uh, you know, we, we talked less than 24 hours ago about uh, UFC 298. Uh, I, you know, had a pretty just full day of kind of regular weekend stuff. But, yeah, mostly just getting geared up to talk about this card. Uh, credit where credit is due. Because I'm going to ask you uh, some questions about this card that might not be as flattering next, okay. but in the, over the last couple of years, you know, I've taken the UFC to task for not taking full geographical advantage of their fight cards outside of Vegas or you know outside of the U.S. Uh, we just finished up, you know, the uh, a London card you know within the last sure. few months where the UFC did a great job of putting one. UK or Irish fighter in each fight yeah. and generally slanting it so that the hometown crowd was going to, was going to get something to cheer about. It actually didn't work out for them. There were a ton of upsets and the, you know, but they, they can't control that. They did everything possible to set themselves up for like, you know, just some memorable moments. They've done it again here. There are 13 fights on this card. 11 of them have a Mexican fighter and none of them have two Mexicans against each other. Like there's going to be yeah. someone to cheer for, for that hometown crowd in, in all these fights. And 
when I say Mexicans, that's not even including people like Brian Ortega who are American, but sure. I, I identify closely with their Mexican heritage, actually speak Spanish. Like I'm not sitting here trying to be yeah. the gatekeeper of who counts as Mexican or not, you know, like, <laughs> well, they should have got Marab on. They should have got Marab on. Cause he, yeah. you know, he, he's Mexican. <laughs> Uh, yeah, even the fights that don't have a Mexican guy fighting, it has like a, a Latin America feel to yeah. it when you've got someone who at least can speak Spanish to the crowd. Yeah, and yeah, like Claudio Poyas is one of the two. He's been training in Mexico for yeah. this fight. He's going to oh, go yeah. over just fine. Uh, Muhammad John Naimov looks kind of Mexican if he squint. I, like, I, I don't know. I don't. <laughs> uh, you know, we have Raul Rosas Jr. where, yeah, I know he's born in new mexico lives in southern california but he spent a good amount of time yeah. in mexico in between and they're, they're going to claim him as their own so uh should be a lively uh night of fights uh obviously we've got two rematches at the top of this card that's fairly rare for a ufc yeah. uh, card they're both five round fights you know like considering that the yair rodriguez versus brian ortega uh, co-main event is a rematch of a five-round fight. It would have been been silly to to make it a three-round fight this time around just because there was like a no contest. So that was sensible. Outside of those top two, which single fight are you most excited for in this card, or or which single fighter if you can't name a fight? Yeah, that's 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 tough. Um, the one that stands out to me, and and I'm, I mean, it's kind of a cheap one to say, but the third fight from the top, uh, Zeluber and Prado. I think that's two really good prospects fight each other. Obviously, the Mexican in Zell Huber, but Prado, I mean, he's super young. That's why, I, I mean, obviously, Rojas is, is a guy that gets some hype because of, you know, his age and everything. What I'll say about this card, when I first looked at it, I was like, oh, wow, this is an extremely top-heavy card, and then it falls off. In, in the sense of the of the rankings, when we talk about, you know, who who's fighting for the rank, you know, top spots and who they're going to fight next, it has that. But when you really dig into the card – yeah, not a lot of these guys are going to be title contenders or top 15 guys. But what we do have is action. Like, there's a lot of guys where you're just like, all my notes say high volume, high output, high, you know, different ways of me trying to say the same thing, pressure fighter. Uh, so, yeah, we might not have the biggest names. I don't think the, you know, the media interviews and everything will do as well as, as other weeks other than, you know, the top guys. But the action, I think, is going to be spectacular. The action is going to be spectacular. And I, I agree with you uh, that there aren't a whole lot of people in this card that look like surefire future contenders. But that's the flip side of it being all basically 125 through 155. Those are four of the most stacked divisions in the sport. I mean, <laughs> yeah, every single cool. week we're previewing cards. And if we're talking about prospects in those divisions, if I ask you about them, I, we'll always say, well, if you're talking about 135, 145, 155, I'm taking the field over anyone. Yeah. Well, so, a, a guy's 6 and 0 at, at welterweight and then we finally go like, "Hey, this guy could be a top 15 guy. I light heavyweight guy with his, his last night we're doing it with Is Zang. this a title eliminator? Y yeah, yeah. Like Zhang won his UC debut and I'm like, yeah, I mean, how far is this guy away from uh, fighting for a title?" Oh, absolutely. Uh and this this card has a lot of prospects who've lost once. Like they came into the UFC with a certain amount of shine. There's a bunch of prospects on this card that are like two and one in the UFC. So they've, they've lost one. The pressure is off, but they're still really young. And, you know, they still get to prove what kind of upside they have. So 
looking back at this card two or three years from now, we may be like, whoa, this card actually cranked out three future title contenders, and it wouldn't shock me in the least. Uh, but at the very least, I agree with you that we should be in for a real fun uh, night of fights on this one. Question for you. This I, It's not going exactly head-to-head. There's probably only, only going to be a tiny bit of overlap, but Saturday is going to be a full day. Like KSW is putting on one of their periodic like monster Coliseum shows, but then the PFL versus Bellator champs event starts earlier in the day and probably will just the, you know, it's last fight or two will overlap with the undercard here. Is that the best card of, of the weekend in terms of what talent is on the card? The PFL one. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Right. I mean, I even without guys. Patricio Pitbull, it probably still is. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah. you got top 10 guys fighting each other. You have, you know, guys guys that have – at one time, we had extremely high in the power pound guys like AJ McKee. You have – I mean, you have two organizations putting their champions against each other. You know, the, most people would consider this number two or number three or, or at least – however you want to put it, Bellator two, maybe PFL four after one, or, you know, however you want to put it. But, like, two of the top major players – in MMA combining and their champions are fighting each other. But yeah. Yeah. It's, it's clearly better than UFC Mexico. And, and people got to say right away, why don't we preview on that? Well, cause we can't do both cards and we, we, we go on a streak with UFCs and Sean Sheehan will, will have a show and he'll do a fantastic job. Yep. So make sure you check out his stuff. Yep. Sean has already filed that. It'll probably go up, uh, you know, It'll probably be up Tuesday morning. So uh, look, look out for that one. And I'm sure uh, Dev on the Check the Kick podcast, which also goes up on Tuesday, will pick a couple of the top fights from there to talk about as well. But I, and I don't want to go down this rabbit hole because we do have 13 fights to talk about. But even with its last dying gasp, Bellator insists on picking the absolute wrong times to try to go head to head with the UFC. Like, why would you try to charge 50 bucks for a pay-per-view that's more or less going head to head with a card that will be free on the same channel? Yeah, I know. They just, uh, I just, you can't go pay-per-view. I'm sorry. The other organization, the, I mean, I, obviously there must be money in it. I'm not a business guy like that. So there obviously has to be money in it. But generally speaking, you're, you're, there's going to be a lot of, not that I ever, ever do this, but there's going to be a lot of random websites uh, on on the web getting more clicks than usual if, if you know what i mean yep and that's fucking illegal like the you know the the, old, the famous <laughs> old data gif <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i'm not i'm not promoting that i'm just saying that no. there's some some people out there that would uh do things that i would never do they, they would avail themselves of less than legal ways of watching that and we do not we do not condone that in any way uh do we condone starting to talk about these fights yeah let's do it all right first up at ufc mexico is a featherweight matchup between eric silva and mohammedan naivov silva the 36 year old venezuelan uh well born in venezuela fights out of costa rica at any rate uh he is 36. He's nine and two overall. He's 0 and one since joining the UFC out of season six of Dana White's contender series. Uh, he made his debut all the way back in December of 2022 at UFC 282, getting uh, choked out in the third round by TJ Brown. He's been on the shelf ever since. No fights even scheduled. He's had a, a couple of health issues, but he finally steps back into the cage a little over a year later against Naimov. Uh, Naimov, 29 year old from Tajikistan is 10 and 2 overall. He is 2 and 0 
since uh, joining the UFC as a veteran of the fourth season of Dana White's Contender Series. He lost on the Contender Series, went back to Florida where he had most of his regional career, put together a win streak, and finally made it to the UFC last year where he beat Jamie Malarkey and Nathaniel Wood to kick off his UFC run. Uh, so he's going to look to make it three in a row. He is comfortably favored here. Uh, he's minus 300, Silva plus 240 on the comeback. You'll give, you know, I'm sure a better breakdown of the X's and O's th than me. But even though I understand why Naimov is a minus 300 favorite here, and I, I do favor him in this fight, uh, it's more out of a lack of faith in Silva. I, I mean, we just barely got done talking about Carlos Vera as a, you know, 36-year-old, basically UFC rookie in the lower weight division, how that's never a good look. Silva has a, a lot of the same uh, issues where he's a better, he, I mean, he's a decent athlete, you know, for, for 36. Uh, he's good size for the division, but, you know, he has less than no time to really work with it. Uh, so even though I favor Naimov in this fight, I, I think there's a hard cap on his ceiling going forward just because, like he has good power and he was able to finish people quickly on the regional scene. I don't think he's going to be able to do that at the UFC level. So he's going to have to get a little grindy and I don't think he has the durability for that. And like, you know, his loss on the contender series saw him won the first round, lose the second round and lose the third round really bad against a marginal talent in Colin England. Like in fact, I don't think Colin England has won a fight since. I think he beat Naimov and then like lost his next four fights. And that really hasn't been fixed. And it's not going to get better at 7,000 feet. So if Naimov isn't beating Silva badly at the end of the first round, this thing's going to start to get real interesting. Uh, I favor him here. I think he'll probably uh, win a decision, hurt Silva a few times. Even if Naimov gets tired late, I, I don't think Silva's the guy to really, really take advantage of it. So give me Naimov to... Uh, you know, pull out ahead and maybe have to hold on to win the decision. But uh, I'm interested to hear if you feel any differently about Naimov's upside. Uh, yeah, so um, it's funny you talk about uh, Naimov being, I think you said 29 and, and Silva being 36 or 37. If you looked at them, their faces, you would think Naimov was the guy like pushing close to 40, you know? Oh, absolutely. With his, with his like chest hair and everything. Uh one thing I'll say, and this could be a blanket for the rest of the card, because sometimes you, I forget about Mexico City and, and being high altitude, and that's gonna, obviously going to be such a huge narrative come Saturday, Saturday. There's going to be one or two fights where our picks are going to look absolutely terrible because one guy is going to be super, like, way better than him, way, way ahead, super talented, and then suddenly they're going to hit a wall because they weren't prepared for the altitude and it's going to look bad. Now what fight on, you know, these 13 fights is it? Well, we're going to find out, but it's going to be one that's like, Oh wow, this guy was a negative 300 favorite and just lost. Uh, Naimov. I, I think he's well-rounded. I, I like, I like Naimov. I think I'm probably higher on him than you are. He, he's a Muay Thai striker that is pretty elusive on, on the feet. He, he can fight out of both stances. He moves well, cuts angles well with his L step in. Uses a lot of feints to set up his shots. He also appears to be very intel intelligent type, you know, high IQ kind of fighter where he's setting up traps, kind of catching his opponent uh, to land later on. Strong kicking game, hot body kicks. 
uh, great high kick, good teep kicks. Uh, he does want to work from distance. To, he, he hates pressure. Uh, we saw that in the end. It's Jamie Malarkey. Uh, he, he doesn't like fighting off his back foot. So he can he can grind in the clinch. He likes to use his size in the clinch well, looks for elbows. He's a very good wrestler, some good entries. I mean, he's from Tajikistan. So anytime that ends with a stand, you can add in good wrestling. The problem is he has slowed and gassed in the past. And you add, like you mentioned, you add that altitude. Th- this could be exactly the fight we're talking about, where a guy who is more talented, looks like should be a, a fairly easy pick, suddenly gasses late. Now, Silva, it, it's it's hard to say about a 36-year-old like he's going to have the cardio advantage. You know, you don't even say that, especially in the lower weight classes. Uh, he's still athletic. He moves well. He's got some good footwork, fights, also fights out of both stances. Uh, and, and he's one of these guys, not just fights on both stands, but he switches a lot, trying to get his opponent guessing. Nice jab, good straight shots, uh, tons of tons of kicks. The problem is he has a lot of defensive issues, keeps his chin high in the air. Uh, he will look to wrestle, and if he gets on top, he's got some mean ground upon it, and he has submission there. He's got he's got four straight wins by Ray Naked Joe. Uh, you know, the wins he, he the fights he won. But he struggles when you put him on his back. Like you go back to TJ Grant fight, he couldn't get off the bottom. Uh, he also gasses, um, and and he, it's a different style because he's so grapple heavy. So he wants to be that guy who grabs a little bit. I don't know if he has the cardio at this age to go. It's then adding the altitude. This fight could get really ugly, but I would say Silva moves better than a thirty-six-year-old. But that said, I I still think he's just a worse version of Nymov everywhere. I think. I think Silva's good. I think he's better than, you know, for, for low-level UFC talent, but I think just think Nano's on a level above him. I think he's better on the feet, especially with the kicks. I think he's the better wrestler. If we get grappling, I think Nano's going to be the one on top. I say he dominates to a unanimous decision win. We head next to the 125-pound division for the first of what I think is four or five men's flyweight fights on this card. Uh, it is Victor Altamirano versus Felipe Dos Santos. Uh, Altamirano, the 33-year-old Mexican-born, Texas-based uh, flyweight, is 12 and three overall. He is two and two since joining the UFC as a veteran of season five of Dana White's Contender Series, as well as a former LFA flyweight champ. He is coming into this fight off of a loss. Uh, he dropped a unanimous decision to Tim Elliott just a little over a year ago at the Car France versus Albazi fight night card. Prior to that, he'd been on a two-fight win streak against Daniel Da Silva, who unfortunately appears further up this card, and Vinicius Salvador. So uh, Altamirano looking to get back in the win column here. He will try to do it at the expense of Dos Santos, who is trying to do the exact same thing. Uh, Dos Santos, 23-year-old Brazilian, is 7-1 and one with one no contest overall. He's 0-1 in the UFC, though in fairness to him, his debut was about as rough as it gets as he stepped up on short notice last September at UFC 293 to face Manel cop and uh, at least made it to the final, uh, made it to the final horn, you know, acquitted himself fairly well, especially for what at the time may have been a 22 year old, but uh, he'll get his first chance to face an opponent on a full camp here. Nonetheless, or, you know, uh, perhaps because of his performance against cop, he is heavily favored here. Dos Santos is minus 300 Altamirano, plus 240. Uh, I understand. I I mean, I I understand why the line is what it is, because I think Victor Altamirano is a, is a good fighter. You you look back and who's he lost to 
Carlos Hernandez, who uh, is very good. Tim Elliott, who is very good. And although it was a few years ago, Jared Brooks, who's gone on to become probably one of the best flyweights outside the UFC right now. He's like, he's wrecking shop in one championship right now. Uh, the, the problem is against fighters that he's better than he's very re- reliably good. You know, he's, he's well-rounded. He's defensively sound. He hasn't thrown away any fights that he should win, but against the fighters who are better than him, just, he doesn't have anything that really stands out. Like he, he's not even like threatened to win th- those fights. Like he's, just going to be a guy that settles right into his place in the division and at best it might be i think gatekeeper to the top 15 uh dos santos has much better upside than that you know which is why i think he's so heavily favored because if he is as good as as advertised altamirano is just going to be a good test for him and not much more but uh yeah this dos santos like is his speed, his aggression, the fact that, you know, he definitely comes forward and forces the issue on his opponent. I think that's going to make Altamirano uncomfortable. Uh, if Altamirano, like, tries to bring the fight to the ground, I think his ground game is a little underrated. I, I'd like to see him test Dos Santos down there. But in general, I, I am leaning Dos Santos here. He, he's the heavy favorite, rightfully so. Uh, I think he wins a decision. I think uh, he hurts Altamirano a few times on, on the feet and just kind of, kind of keeps Altamirano on the back foot in reactive mode for a lot of the fight. Yeah, this is a, I think this is a fight that it's going to be a lot of action. I think this fight should be higher up the card. I'm surprised it's low, you know, um, considering some of the guys above them, I, I think are not as far or not as much upside. Uh, Altamirano, he's, he's a really fun fighter. He's southpaw, really good volume. Uh, he can be wild with his strikes. Uh, but I love that when he's attacking, he's throwing combinations. He's not throwing single strikes. Uh, they will drop his hands, rely really on on head movement and shoulder rolls, which which I'm, I'm not crazy about. Good good kicking game though. Throws a lot of kicks, especially the high kick. Uh, he will throw him naked, so he's open to counters. I, I love that he also throws a lot of like knees inside him. Mean, he crushed Daniel Lacerda with a step in knee. He wants to be the one moving forward. He hated the pressure from Vinicius Salvador in that fight. He kept just ducking his head when Salvador pressured, and and he's going to get blessed, you know, with an uppercut or Nias against somebody else. He's a solid wrestler, uh, kind of a Michael Chiesa, Aljamain Sterling, more reaching for the, you know, snatch single style and getting the fight to the ground. Good ground and pound if he gets there. But he, he's a weak defensive wrestler. You take him down, he, he kind of – plays BJJ instead of showing an urgency to get back to his feet. But he has four submission wins. Uh, the best part of his game might be his cardio, though. I mean, it's probably how he got the win over Carlos Candelera in a close fight. And, and he's got some power. I mean, I mean, he hurt Lacerda. Dos Santos, yeah, you, you're right. I mean, really tough test. I think he took the fight at short notice against the mm-hmm. cop. He did. Uh, he's, he's a really good athlete. I mean, very aggressive on the feet, high output, bit of a wild man, loves to get in the pocket and throw down. He's He's got quick hands, has – uh, a nice jab when he's when he's more controlling, good follow up, hard right cross, has some power. Uh, he but he'll he'll get so wild he can overthrow his shots, which leaves him open to counters. Uh, he loves spinning attacks, which I'm not crazy about. Uh, I mean they're fun to watch, but he also will, like throw like flying knees and stuff. But when he's kicking, he's mean tape kicks. Defense is is completely a major issue for him. He gets hit a lot. He stands tall, his chin high in the air. He was 
hurt to the body in his last fight. He is very aggressive, though, with his wrestling. Like I talked about him being aggressive on the feet. He's also the same with his wrestling. He'll dive in for takedowns. He, If he gets to fight the ground, he needs to improve control a little bit. He can kind of be too wild on top and, and lose position trying to you know get an offensive submission. Not the best defensive wrestler. His his aggre- his aggressive style he kind of makes him walk into takedowns like when he overthrows and stuff, uh, and, and he struggles to get off the bottom. What I like though is all fifty minutes he's going hard. He 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 fights like a wild man. It really doesn't slow down. And I mean he can he can eat some shots. I mean he ate some big ones from Manal Cop, which might be the hardest hitter in the division, and and kept coming. I think this fight's gonna be bonkers. I think the line is off. I think I think uh, I think it should be closer. I mean, both guys bring it. Both guys have volume. Both guys have power. Both guys have underrated wrestler, or, you know, underrated wrestling. I'm gonna go with Santos too because he's just a better athlete. So I'm on the fence. That's kind of a, you know one of the things that I kind of lean towards. I think he's faster. He's got the higher upside. Give me Santos. I, Altamirano's super tough, so I think he makes the, the distance. Give me Santos by decision. We stay in the men's flyweight division for a matchup between Ronaldo Rodriguez and Denise Bondar. Rodriguez, the 24-year-old Mexican, is 16-2 overall. This will be his UFC debut. He appeared on Dana White's Contender Series all the way back in 2020, dropping a unanimous decision to Jerome Rivera. Since then, he went back to Mexico, strung together five straight wins. That's the good news. The bad news is that all five of those wins were at Bantamweight or higher. So he is dropping back down to flyweight for the first time since he was on the Contender Series like three and a half years ago. We'll see how that goes for him again, especially at 7,000 feet. But nonetheless, he's here and he is going to try to uh, get his UFC career off to a good start against Bondar. 31-year-old Ukrainian, 14-4 and overall, 0-2 in the UFC. Uh, He joined the UFC uh, almost exactly two years ago. Since then, he has been... The unluckiest man in the UFC. I used to say that was Zhalgas Jumagulov. Now that Jumagulov is gone from the UFC uh, and headed back to uh, repopulate Kazakhstan by impregnating like every Haina in his home country, Bondar is now the man. He's had who, two UFC fights. Who was the guy that fought a couple weeks ago? The fight ended like immediately after like with a freaking groin shot. He's fought like he's fought like two times in like six years or some shit. Remember that? Ali Ashkab Kizriev. Yes, yes. Ali Ashkab Kizriev, the guy that fights once every three years. He fought for the first time in like several <laughs> years a couple weeks ago. He got poked in the eye in 10 seconds by Mahmoud Muradov. Oh, that's the what it was. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, I think – no, no, didn't he do the eye poke? He he poked Muradov. Yeah, sorry, he poked Muradov. 11 yeah. seconds so, in. I thought so it was a great it's, story. It's, I, they, they, make, yeah. they blend together sometimes. Like, uh So – Bondar is at least a close second to that. Okay. I mean, he has two fights in the UFC. The the first one, like, within the first 90 seconds, his arm goes on backwards trying to defend a takedown. He comes back last summer. And, yeah, he was losing to Carlos Hernandez, but the fight ends in a technical decision on, a, like, a rampage versus Arona slam where their heads clash, and he is out dead on the canvas. Uh, yeah, just... Not had a whole lot of luck so far. Um, when, when, his his arm, luck- when his arm, when his sorry, when his arm broke, did he get like the Joe Piper treatment? Did Dana put him up in like a hotel for a year or anything like that? I 
I think Dana may have just let him go back to Ukraine, which is really <laughs> fucked. With a broken arm. With a broken arm. Well, hey, at least they won't stick you in the army. Like, yeah, maybe that's... No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, poor Denise Bondar. I don't know if his luck's going to change on Saturday in Mexico, but he is at least a pick him here. The Rodriguez and Bondar both coming in uh, even money, like minus 110, and both men with something to prove. Rodriguez to prove that he can make the weight and function Bondar to, to prove that, well, kind of like I always said about Juma Gulov, he's not winning the fights, but while he's in there, he looks like a good fighter. Uh, tell me who you think wins this one and uh, how you think it goes. Yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right. What's going on with Bondar? Like he's, I don't know. He's going to freaking slip on the blood from the previous fight and, you know, he can knock himself out or something. Who knows? Um, Bonner's a good athlete. Like, I mean, he's a, he's a flyweight, so you know, he uses movement really well. Very bob and weave kind of boxing style, cuts angles well. Uh, he, when he's not bobbing, he will back straight up sometimes. So that that's an issue to voice strikes. Uh, he loves to get in the pocket and throw down. Yeah, he can be wild, and because of his getting inside and throwing, he can he can have a lack of output. He kind of he was a little gun shy at times against Carlos Hernandez. But when he lets his hands go, I mean, he's pretty quick. Uh, he does fight well in the clinch, get a very strong uh, plum clinch. When he's going for takedowns, he's looking for upper body takedowns, some nice sweeps. But I, I would say his overall takedowns uh, are still a little bit weaker than his outside entries. Not a very good defensive wrestler, though he is okay at like kind of creating a scramble and, and, and getting back up. If he's on top, I, I like his ground pound, and he's a bit of a submission specialist. He's got some subs on his record. Rodriguez is only 24, so you got to like that. He's a very stalking kind of striker. He's got to march down his foe, throws a lot of power hooks, throws hard, tight boxing shots, but he can load up a lot. Now, he's got good power. He's got seven TKOs, but, uh, you know, you can kind of telegraph. He's a little flat-footed, heavy on his front foot, doesn't move his head enough. He will shoot for takedowns. Again, we'll get him, but I wouldn't, you know, call him a wrestler. Kind of a secondary thing for him, but he has four submission wins when he gets to the ground. And is I think it was like two fights ago I saw he jumped on a guillotine, and it was super fast sub. So th this is one of those fights. I wish I kind of dug a little bit deeper into the tape study. Um, I mean, it's, you don't have so many time, much time in in the week. This is a tough fight because I'm, I'm not huge on either guy. Uh, both are brawls on the feet. I think Rodriguez might have a little bit more power. Uh, both are okay if the you know, if I hit the ground. Both submission threats. That said, when I'm on the fence, and, and I don't like that Rodriguez is changing weight class like that, definitely concerns me. I'm I'm always gonna, I'm still going to go with the guy who's 24 years old. He's the one that's more likely to make big improvements between fights. I say he wins a decision based on landing the heavier shots. I'll take Rodriguez by decision. I, I, I feel a lot of what you're putting down there. I, the The disturbing thing to me about Bondar's fight with Hernandez is not that he lost because I think Hernandez is pretty damn good. I think he's probably a, a future top fifteen guy in the division. It's like you mentioned that he seemed gun shy because on his way up, and he came into the UFC on the eight fight win streak against actually some decent competition here and there uh, at his best. I actually thought he might turn into kind of like a poor man's version of Brandon Royval who headlines this card where he was hyper aggressive on the feet, 
and uh, he's at his best in scrambles, you know, would find dominant positions, find submissions in scrambles, but he would just trust those moments to come. Like he just worked to get into the pocket flurry. He knew collisions would happen and, you know, he'd be able to get, he trusted himself, just his, his wrestling ability, his instincts, just to, you know, come out of those scrambles on top, which to me just, you know, kind of a poor man's Brandon Royval. That he was gun shy in the Hernandez fight is disturbing. Uh, just the same way that I, I hung on to the Jaga Zhumagulov Express a little too long, I still believe in Bondar. I mean, I no longer think he's a future contender in this division. You know, he's he's 31, so he probably is what he is at this point. This fight's a, a pick him, and I completely agree in principle that especially at 125 pounds, if things are up in the air and one guy's 24 and the other one's 31 – at this weight class, there's a big lean towards the younger guy, but I can't get out of my head that Rodriguez has not made 125 pounds in like three years, like from age 21 to 24, you know, he's fought at Bantamweight five straight. Actually, one of them was at like 141 pound catch weight, but I believe that's because his opponent missed weight, not him. Like to, to choose this card this time to try to move back down to flyweight. I do wonder like, is he going to be all over Bondar for the first round and then just suddenly hit that wall that we've been talking about? I don't have a strong feel on this fight one way or the other. I'm likely to be surprised by the outcome no matter what. But at the very least, Bondar has shown that he can make it 15 uh, minutes unless you headbutt him at the last second. Give me Bondar to be the fresher guy in the later rounds and pull ahead to sneak out the decision in the fight that he may have been losing early on. So uh, we have our first disagreement of the card. I don't have a whole lot of confidence in this one. That altitude is just, uh, you know, it's a huge unknown hovering over all these fights. And this one already had enough unknowns hanging over it. But yeah, give me Bondar by decision. Next up on the UFC Mexico undercard, talk about a fight that yeah, could have been further up the card. It is a lightweight clash between Claudio Pueyes and Ferez Zayam, two of the more intriguing up-and-coming uh, young lightweights in the division. Pueyes, the 27-year-old Peruvian, is 12-3 and overall. He's 5-2 and in the UFC. He's coming in off a loss. Uh, he got finished by a second-round body kick, courtesy of Dan Hooker all the way back in uh, November of 2022 at UFC 281. Prior to that, he'd been on a five-fight win streak. So uh, some time on the shelf. He's back, looking to get back in the win column. We'll look to do it against Zayam. Uh, Zayam, 26-year-old Frenchman of Moroccan descent, is 14-4 and four overall. He's 4-2 and two in the UFC. He's on a two-fight win streak, those being unanimous decisions over Michal Figlak and Jai Herbert. The most recent of those, the Herbert fight, was at UFC London last July. Uh, odds here do favor the Frenchman. He's minus 210, Pueyes plus 170 on the comeback. If you're watching this on YouTube, you may see that both of these gentlemen have uh, Killcliffe FC listed as their gym. They have both been at Killcliffe. They almost certainly have trained together in the past because of that. Their time at Killcliffe has uh, intersected. But in preparation for this fight, Pueyes has actually been uh, training with Diego Lopez in Mexico. For what that's worth, that is where most of the Entrum Gym guys have been training. Like, Entrum Gym 
is sure. in it's in Tijuana. It's at sea level. They've all been training with uh, Diego Lopez, which is right around six or seven thousand feet. Uh, Pues has been doing the same. So you know, like factor that in into your thoughts on on this fight. But no, they aren't literal teammates that just rolled out of the gym and like took took a bus <laughs> together to the to, to the fights. Uh, Keith. <laughs> I just imagine Poyas trying to get up that 6,000 uh, elevation, just like <laughs> shrimping up on his back. <laughs> just, just so one dimensional. All right. Uh, so, uh, who you got? Poyas by knee bar or Zion by knockout? Yeah, that's kind of, yeah, there you go. That can, that can save us some time. Um, yeah. So, Poyas is only 27. So, I mean, he still has a lot of time for growth. But he needs to grow because he is a pretty one-dimensional fighter. To be fighting at the level that he's at in the UFC is 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 pretty astonishing. I mean, his striking is poor. I mean, he's a southpaw that he he throws his hands to close the distance, and he he will try to overwhelm with volume, but it's it's just to kind of get get an opportunity to get out of the hips. Uh, his kicks aren't bad. I do like his kicking game. He does it. He, he doesn't care if you catch his kick because he wants to get the fight to the ground anyway. So he'll he'll throw kind of like. Naked leg kicks. He's got so many defensive holes on on the feet. I mean, very hittable. I mean, Dan Hooker was crushing him to the body. Now he can wrestle. He's got decent entries. When the fight hits the mat, he he advances position well. Uh, he can hit subs off his back. He has those long legs. He has five submissions. But as you mentioned, he's a knee bar specialist. Like I, I was dogging Joe Rogan, and, and I'm trying to think what fight it was. Uh, Carlos Vieira was looking for knee bars. There was another somebody else too. Yeah. I think Mackenzie Dern. And I and I kind of dog people like oh, talking about leg locks, knee knee bar stuff like that. They don't really work in, in MMA and you know especially the UFC. Poilus is one of the guys that he actually can go. He's constantly looking for it. Uh, the problem is he'll lose position to go for the submission. Obviously, when you go anytime you go lower body, you, you kind of put yourself in position to get punched. Uh, Zion is a long. Lengthy striker, a really good and experienced kickboxer. Uh, yeah, he fought in K1 in the past. He likes to work from the outside. He uses his length and, and good footwork to kind of keep the distance. Um, when he, he didn't like it, like the Jamie Malarkey fight, it was Malarkey was getting to the pocket and pressuring him. But when he can keep his destiny, he's got a good jab. He's very accurate with follow-up shots. The big issue is for someone who's a big guy like him and, and based on his – kickboxing background he's more of a point fighter than a power puncher which is kind of very surprising uh, he, he fights behind a high guard defense stands a little too tall for my liking he lacks head movement again that has to do with the kickboxing style where you can kind of hide behind the, the gloves a little bit uh but he's got kicks i mean he can really blast kicks good calf kicks very powerful with them he loves flying knees he will wrestle more than you would expect especially for a kickboxer but he isn't a wrestler at all his takedown defense, it has improved since he's been in the UFC. Uh, where it's, I think Poyos might struggle to get the fight to the ground more than people might expect. Uh, he's, he, he, like I said, but his takedown defense has improved, but a lot of it's just he can keeps the hips controlling and 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 keep moving that. Uh, one time he was taken down by Mark, he had a sweep, uh, but he was taken down and quickly subbed by Terrence McKinney, so take what it was worth. Uh, this is the matchup we strike a lap. I think. You said what was what was how much was Zion a favorite? Minus two ten. Yeah, I'm surprised that I thought it'd be based on you know the the styles. I thought it'd be a lot closer fight. I expect Poils to kind of pull out all the tricks to get to the fight to the ground. He might pull guard. He might Aminari roll. 
I just think Zion has has done enough to keep the fight to the standing, you know, show that he can do that and land shots on the outside. I think Poils is going to start slowing down because of all his grappling, and then I think he gets hurt by Zion. Zion, maybe a body shot. This one I just keep thinking of. I say Zion finishes him. I'm going to say Zion wins by second round TKO. Yeah, the it, it's it's a fun clash of styles, and Poyas, a week after we talked about Carlos Vera, and because of that, his mentor, Ryan Hall, Poyas seems to be a guy from that same mold where you look at him and he's got the size and physique where you'd think he would have been able to develop into a good striker. Like he's got a wingspan. He is a good athlete. He's a big dude for the weight class there. Like if you just line the guys, these two guys up against the wall and you said, tell me which of these two guys is the striker. You you know what I mean? Like he's, it's amazing. And it's, yeah, it, it's amazing that he's still as bad as he is on the feet, especially defensively. And as much fun as it is to have kind of, you know, old school one trick pony type specialists around, he has three knee bars in the UFC, but they're not against the highest level people. That that's just not going to work as he goes farther up uh, the farther up the, the, the rankings. And I think, I don't think it works on Zayam. Like, he could beat Siam, you know, maybe just by getting him on the ground early enough in, in two rounds out of three and at least just keeping him busy and on the defensive and winning it that way. But I don't see him knee barring Siam. And I think Siam probably just kind of peppers him on the feet. Uh, Siam isn't the kind of killer Dan Hooker is. I don't think he's just going to wreck Pueyes with body shots and, and this thing's going to be over. But I think he's going to frustrate Pueyes. And I agree with you that if either of these guys suffers – from the altitude, it'll be Pueyes, even though he's done his camp at altitude, just because his routes to victory are going to involve him doing a lot more physical exertion. Whereas Zayam just kind of needs to stay upright, pepper him, move, stick, move. Uh, give me Zayam by decision in, in this one as well. Uh, we could have some wild moments early, but uh, I think the time favors Zayam the further this fight goes. We head back down to the 125-pound division for uh, the first of three rematches on this card. Uh, much unheralded compared to the other two, but uh, Edgar Jairez and Daniel De Silva will run it back here. Jairez, the 28-year-old Mexican, is 10-5 and with one no contest overall. He is 0-1 with one no contest since joining the UFC as a veteran of Dana White's Contender Series. He appeared on Season 6. He lost then won a couple of fights, one in Mexico, one in Fury Fighting Championship here in Texas, and got signed. Uh, he lost his UFC debut to uh, Tatsuro Tyra, though but he made it to the final horn. That's a bit of a moral victory. And then, of course, he and De Silva fought last uh, September at the uh, Noche UFC uh, card, the Grasso versus Shevchenko card. Uh, that fight ended in a... Bad premature stoppage that, uh, you know, rendered a no contest late in the first round. Uh, so they're going to run it back. Uh, De Silva, 27-year-old Brazilian, is 11-5 and with one no contest overall. He is 0-4 with one no contest in the UFC. The high-res fight last September was almost, I, I mean, it was his last, last chance in the UFC. It was probably his third last chance in the UFC. And uh, 
he had probably been losing the fight when the premature <laughs> stoppage came. So yeah. uh, he gets a reprieve here, but uh, the three minutes and change that we saw did not sway the betters or the bookmakers at all as high res comes in at minus 300 to Silva plus 240 on the comeback. Uh, here's the thing, man. I don't think either of these guys is long for the UFC. Uh, like I, I'm about as low on these guys as you could be about a couple of 27, 28 year old guys. But I think Hires could stick around for another fight or two. Da Silva, he's just bad, dude. I, I mean, <laughs> I, I, and I said this. I think I've said this like ahead of his last three fights. He looks like he should be a good fighter. If if you if you line him. And the two headliners, Brandon Moreno and Brandon Royval, up against the wall. Yeah, you know, someone who, who knew fighting but didn't know those specific guys and said, "Which one of these is yeah. the terrible fighter, and which one is the the top five fighter?" Yeah, the pick of the guy for the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Silva. Yeah. He's he's a big dude. He looks like a great athlete. He's got like a a V taper on him. That I, he looks like a fighter from a movie, and in a vacuum, like I'm sure at open workouts, he looks like a fighter from a movie, but. In the cage, it just doesn't work. And I've said this, like he has some decent offensive tools here and there. Like he strikes with a certain amount of power. He's not a complete dummy on the ground offensively, but defensively, he's just absolutely terrible. Like whatever his opponent does well, they're going to have a chance to do on him. He he lives to provide highlights for his opponents. Like Francisco Figueredo wrecked him on the ground. Uh, Victor Altamirano, you know, like hurt him on the feet, wrecked him on the Man. ground. Uh and on top of everything else, he has a terrible gas tank. So, <laughs> yeah. like, he yeah. might gas out on the way to the cage <laughs> in Mexico City. I, he's he's just not good, and I feel bad slamming the door, slamming the book so hard on a 27-year-old fighter who, I mean, Christian Stein, one of our Brazilian correspondents, has interviewed him like three times, and you can just sense – like the drive and the desperation coming through every time he talks to him. Like he knows that his back is against the wall. He's at the perfect team. I mean, shoot, shoot a box. Diego Lima is a fantastic, uh, yeah, camp, especially for lighter weight guys. Yeah. It's one of the best. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, hell, I think there are two other, uh, flyweights from shoot a box. Diego Lima on this card. Like I think Felipe dos Santos and maybe Mateos Mendonso both are, and those guys just must take his lunch money. I uh, it's, <laughs> Here, I figure Hires is just going to finish the job that he started uh, at Noche UFC last time. Hurts him on the feet, either pounds him out or taps him out on the ground. Uh, I'll tend the one way. I'll say that Hires gets a first-round TKO, just hurts him on the feet, follows him down and pounds him out, but club and sub wouldn't shock me either. Just Hires is okay, and De Silva just isn't good. Yeah, and, and not to mention, you know, the, this fight was ran back because of premature stoppage on a submission that was probably getting locked in, and the guy was seconds away from winning, anyways. Like, yeah. kind of like, you know, uh, Dos Santos or Lacerda. I know he goes by Lacerda too. Like, Lacerda didn't get screwed. Chara got screwed. <laughs> like, Chara yeah. was going to win that fight. So. Yeah, like, Hira should be fighting someone else on this card that's like coming off a win as well. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Instead, he's getting the uh, Lacerda's last run again and again. It's like it's like it's, it's like the Walking episode, like season of the Walking Dead. Like, wait, they still make that? <laughs> um, or you watch that TV show Supernatural? Yeah, yeah. My, my, my wife more than me, but yeah, yeah. We me and my wife when 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 you know we were like I think before we had kids and stuff. We like watched them like 
just yeah, you know, we're doing we're still doing like that. Like couples watch TV shows together, kind of thing. And uh, I think we got to like season thirteen. Like, all right, I'm gonna freak. All right, we're done. And and then like ten years later, like we were watching TV and they're like, oh, the new season is Supernatural. Like, wait, they're still making Supernaturals? No, like oh. my thing about Supernatural was like, you know, even after I stopped watching, my wife kept watching it. She'd she'd help me or she'd have me help her decode like the, cause you know, they would always give themselves undercover names that were names of like musicians. Oh yeah. yeah. And so she'd be like, Hey, well, who are Pippin and Downing? Like, I'm like, Oh, those are the guitarists from Judas priest, you know? And like, oh, yeah. thank you. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, if, if supernatural starts having to go to like fighters and they start using Daniel Asserter, then it's really time to access. Oh yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, I mean, sort of. I agree with some of the things you said. Like, so he he kind of does. He's a guy that you like when you piece up together what he does well. Like a lot of things jump out. It just he can't put it all together. Mm-hmm. Um, you find out both stands. He's got good volume, uh, slip and rip kind of guy. Uh, he, he has decent head movement. He has some power. Uh, I mean, all all of his wins are by finish, or, so, or close to all of his wins are by finish. Uh, he he loves teep kicks. He loves spinning uh, attacks. Yeah, uh, uh, he's they, he's eleven and five with one no contest, and he's never heard okay. the final horn. Okay, yeah, there you go. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I, I thought so. I was I was I was I was second guessing my own notes. Uh, he 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 hit uh, CJ Vicar with a spinning wheel kick like three times. Uh, the problem is is his durability. Like I mean, he was hurt to the body by Victor Morano over again. He's a weak offensive wrestler. He's a weak defensive wrestler. Uh, when he's looking for takedowns, he'll shoot from way too far away without any setup. Uh, he is, if he gets a, a, a legs, I mean, I'll give him this. He's, he's relentless to get the fight to the ground. He's very physic, physically strong, as you mentioned. Like, looks like a, you know, could be in a movie. Like, he'll lift lift up his opponent, slam him, uh, aggressive ground and pound. He's got six submissions on, on his record. He, the problem is, he doesn't stop. Um, like, he, he doesn't control position. He he doesn't stop. Um, takedowns on him. He, when he's on his back, he doesn't show urgency. He kind of plays BJJ, and he's not good there. That's the problem. If you play BJJ, that's fine. If you're good, but he's not good there. I mean, he was quickly subbed by Francisco Figueredo. He was ground and pounded by Victor Altamirano, and then you mentioned he gasses out because of. I mean, he's an aggressive guy. I give him that, but he, he's gassed out. I mean, his. Yeah, you know, he he. He guessed out. It was. I think it was the first. Oh, round. Come on, it's the, it's the night after a, a Joe Rogan UFC fight night. Sometimes when a fighter just has out all that muscle mass, that muscle, just the yeah, anaerobic. Like, yeah, I would call the old Phil Baroni rule. <laughs> Joe, Joe I, Rogan I still, explaining why muscular guys gas out since two thousand two. Yeah, I still I still remember watching Phil Baroni versus Evan Tanner and and my and my 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 wife, my sister, my oldest sister somehow was watching a fight with me. I don't know why, but. I'm going way back for saying Phil, Phil Baroni was hot. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> uh, and and she's like, all right, so who's going to win this fight? And I go, I'm going to make a deal with you. At the two and a half minute, if the fight makes two and a half minutes, like I will take the other guy no matter where the fight is. <laughs> I said, I will take Phil Baroni in the first two and a half minutes, but if it hits two and a half minutes, I will take no matter what is going on in the fight, I will take Evan Tanner. Uh and and, and <laughs> like we're joking, but Lacerda has a little bit of that in him. But like he, I think it was CJ Vergara. He was he was gassing late in the first round against CJ Vergara. Yep. Uh, Sheres, he's a striker, very good jab, big kicking game. Uh, though he'll throw some naked leg kicks. I like his defense moves. He he, good footwork. He avoids shots with L stepping. Uh, 
he he doesn't move his head well. Uh, he's more like well, eat a shot. Um, or he he kind of moves his he's cutting with the angles. He doesn't really move his head. He's kind of on the center line. But uh, he's also one of these guys who's willing to eat a shot to land one. Uh, he's got a good good takedowns, good top game. I, uh, though I wouldn't call him a wrestler. He has a submission threat. I mean, he has, has six subs. He had Lacerda in, in a sub when when that fight should have been ended. Uh, and we've seen him defend. You know, trying to trying to sub him. He d- does relative defense submissions. I'm with you, man. I, I'm I'm on Chavez. He was beating Lacerda in the last fight. I don't know what would have changed. I mean, he had a sub locked in. Um, I think he lands the better shots on the feet. I think he lands the takedowns. I think, and I think I'm gonna go with a sub again. I'm gonna say he locks in a submission, and this time there's no controversy. He wins by second round sub. We stay in the men's flyweight division for a clash between Jesus Aguilar and Mateus Mendoza. Aguilar, the 27-year-old Mexican, is nine and two overall. He's one and one since joining the UFC out of season six of Dana White's Contender Series. Fought most recently last July at the UFC's International Fight Week card, UFC 290. Took just 17 seconds to completely flatten Shannon Ross. He'll look to build on the momentum of that by getting a win over Mendoza. Uh, Mendoza, 25-year-old Brazilian. Uh, he is also from Shootabox Diego Lima, so that is three flyweights from that team uh, on this card. He's 10-2 and two overall. That's the good news. The bad news is that those two losses are in his last two fights. Uh, he fought his way to the UFC on an undefeated record, culminating in a win on Dana White's Contender Series, uh, same season as Aguilar, season six. Since then, he has back-to-back losses to Javid Basharat and Nate Manis. In his defense, those are two pretty good fighters. The most recent of those, the Manis fight, was last October at the Dawson versus Green fight night, where he got uh, knocked out late in the first round. Despite that, uh, he is the slight to moderate favorite here. Mendoza's minus 140, Aguilar plus 120. Uh, Keith, a couple weeks ago, we previewed a Pete Rodriguez fight, and I said, all I know about Pete Rodriguez <laughs> is that he is worse yeah. than Jack De La Maddalena, and he's better than Mike Jackson, and that's yeah. true of just about uh, all, all but just about nine welterweights in the world. You know, there's the eight that are better than De La Maddalena, and then there's CM Punk. <laughs> Yeah. on the other end. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus Santos Aguilar isn't quite to that level, but if all I know about him is that he's not as good as Tatsuro Tyra and he's better than <laughs> yeah. Shannon Ross, th- there's a yeah. lot of wiggle room there. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> tell me how good either of these guys are. Uh, if you see top 15 upside for either of them in this division and who you think wins. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's like the guy, like the guy goes to the bar. It, it, it's going back to uh, Zhang uh, going up to like shooting the shot Johansson. with Scarlett Johansson. He goes to Scarlett Johansson <laughs> at the bar. And then he's like, all right, he strikes out. And he's like, all right, let's go pick up a hooker somewhere. <laughs> like, let's just, let's just go get a $20 handy at the truck stop from some yeah. chick with meth mouth. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Just goes the other extreme. Um <laughs> This, I'm sorry. I'm this, I, now. I'm just thinking of Zhang Min Yang at like the Flying J or something. Because there's him. no there's no hookers at Bucky's. He's got to go to like one of the really uh, trashy. Like, no yeah. hookers at Bucky's. All right, cancel my oh, trip to, no. to, to <laughs> cancel my trip to Dallas. Well, um, Zhang's gonna be our guy. I'm I'm making that guy an all time favorite for us. The, the, him call for <laughs> I still love that the guy one win in the UFC calls for a title shot and UFC 300 headlining show. Oh, good. <laughs> I love good for him. Uh, uh, Jesus Aguilar. I, first of all, can we give credit to anybody, in, you know, in Mexico, these Spanish-speaking countries that name their kids Jesus? Like, yeah, you, you got it. that's good for you. Aim high, like, huh? Aim high. 
for sure. Yeah. yeah, that's like that's like name your kid after the freaking Lord. That's like um that's uh that's that's like calling for a UC three hundred title shot. Like yeah. that's some some high stand. I ever tell you my story? My friend Larry said to me when I turned thirty-three, he goes, Oh, you're thirty-three, he goes, that's the age that Jesus died. And he goes, Think of all the things he accomplished in his life compared to you. <laughs> yeah, but how was Jesus' podcast? How was his <laughs> um all right let's 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 talk about uh jesus aguilar jesus aguilar uh he's a he's short and stocky guy I, I like his volume he marches forward constantly taking ground uh, he loves to get in the pocket and throw down he he throws he gets a wild he's a little bit of a brawler there uh i i've seen him almost knock himself over trying to land shots that's how aggressive he can be but he throws hard i mean he showed against shannon ross i mean he has that power he starts shannon ross uh, defense is second for him though. He doesn't care about getting hit. He's very hittable. Um, he's he's a guy. He's he's trusting his chin to get in the pocket and land. Uh, he will wrestle. He got some good entries, though. Uh, he will shoot without any setups. He will look. He'll look for throws, but a lot of times he doesn't have the good posture, so he'll go for like a lat drop and find himself on bottom. Uh, if he's on top, I like his ground and pound. Uh, he needs to improve his overall top game though. Um, He's got a strong guillotine choke. I've seen him like that. It's kind of like a specialty to him. He's got four subs by guillotine. Uh, he, I mean, he won by sub by guillotine in the contender series. He's he's a weak defensive wrestler, though. Uh, move over to Mendonca or Mendoza, if I'm saying it wrong. Uh, I love he's still only 25. Like that, mm-hmm. That's something I like. He's a great athlete, very explosive striker, loves to get in the mid-range and unload some looping power shots. That's something we can have in this fight, which would be fun. Great power, throws a lot of teep kicks. Though he also, you know, will set him, you know, throw him without setting him up, throw him kind of naked. He also lacks defense. Also, a very hittable guy. He's not. He's probably not as good of a wrestler as Aguilar is, but I think he's a better overall grappler. I, I like his grappling. He's got some. He's good at winning scrambles. He had moments again. Bashra, and I, I, I'm had this in my notes for a while. Like, yeah, obviously Bashra won. And I mean, that's a guy that's like uber prospect. But there was scrambles where he was actually won the positions against Bashar, was which is good to see. Uh, good overall grappler. He needs to just control better on the ground. Um, like he's very aggressively trying to get submission, but he's a, he's a good submission threat. But he's got terrible fight IQ. I mean, he kept going for leg loss gate, Manus put himself in position to eat shots, and finally Manus just unloaded and knocked him out for it. Uh, but. You look at his rank, he's got four subs, so he's got the ability. This one's such a hard one to pick. A lot of it has to do with what you said about Aguilar. They're very similar. I- I'm going to go when when Donka, because what I've seen him against Bashra, I've seen him you know, going against high level guys and do well. Again, I I don't I know that's not the way you, you should never pick fights away, not A almost beat B, so he's gonna beat C. Like the the you know, styles me fights and but I say he's the one who wins the grappling exchanges. Give me my dog. I'm going to say by split decision. Yeah, not too much to add here just because you hit all the points that both these guys have potential, but it's hard to trust either of them to win a fight, even if they should on paper. Uh, Mendoza has fight IQ issues. Hopefully he's learned his lesson there and we never see another fight like the Manus fight, but like, Hopefully that's a 24, 25 year old just having a like, let's just hope that never happens again. Uh, If 
if he's fighting reasonably well to his like best advantage, I favor him over Aguilar because I mean, you mentioned Aguilar has a ton of submissions by uh, guillotine choke, but he goes for him a lot. And if he doesn't get them, it doesn't go well for him. Like he just, he ends up on bottom. Sometimes he ends up on bottom with his arms blown out. Like if he tries that on Mendoza, I don't think he gets the guillotine. And I think he's in a lot of trouble. Um, honestly, his, his best chance of victory here is to just catch Mendoza with one of his like big old looping hooks, like in, in the pocket. And that's certainly possible. Uh, Mendoza is not a finished product in terms of his, his striking defense, but I am going to lean towards the Brazilian here as well. Uh, he has way more upside as an athlete. You know, he's bigger, he's faster, uh, he's younger, even if they're both young, his problems seem fixable where, yeah, Aguilar's a little wild and, you know, could, could stand to have a, a little bit more of a diverse arsenal of attacks, but he's already close to his ceiling, I think. Um, I, I think the era of the Joseph Benavidez size uh, flyweight is pretty much over in the UFC. Uh, give me Mendoza to win a, a decision here, and I'm expecting we'll have a real fun fight. Next up at UFC Mexico, and at least as the card is currently constituted, the top prelim is a men's bantamweight matchup between Christian Quinones and Hani Barcelos. Quinones, the 27-year-old Mexican, is 18-4 and four overall. He's 1-1 one one since joining the UFC out of Season 5 of Dana White's Contender Series. He won his debut by first-round knockout over Khalid Taha, uh, Came back last June at the Vittori versus Cannoneer fight night and got choked out in the first round by Kyung Ho Kong. He will look to get back on track at the expense of Barcelos. Uh, Barcelos, 36-year-old Brazilian, 17-5 and overall, 5-4 and in the UFC. Uh, he has lost two in a row in four of his last five. He appeared most recently last August at UFC on ESPN Sanhagen versus Font, where he dropped a unanimous decision to Kyler Phillips. So uh, every possibility that his job is actually in the balance here. Nonetheless, he is a moderate favorite. Barcelos minus 170, Quinones plus 140. Man, so obviously we've previewed uh, and recapped more than a few Honey Barcelos fights here. Sherlock <laughs> Associate Editor Jay Petri. <laughs> You've previewed a lot of fights that he didn't take either. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, you know, for a good three or four years now, has been letting us have it over the <laughs> night that he had a sensational performance. Uh, actually, over, I it, I think it was a night he beat either Saeed Nurmagomedov or Khalid Taha, where he looked so good, you know, that we we're like, okay, yeah, he's 31, 32, but who in the top 15 would we favor him against? And of course, he chose right then to turn old <laughs> overnight. Here's the problem. And I'm a little surprised that he's the favorite here because Quinones isn't an off the charts prospect. Like, I, you know, I, I think he's a fun a, addition yeah. to the division. And Barcelos, like, the skills that remain to him match up well with Quinones. Quinones is a tall, lanky, striker who can be taken advantage of on the ground and Barcelos's calling card, especially during his rise was he's a very good wrestler for a Brazilian, like not just, Oh, hey, I'm strong and fast, but yeah, actually like some decent technique on it that then allowed him to leverage uh, his ground game. The problem with Barcelos and 
is that kind of like I mentioned, he seems to have gotten old overnight. And while, I mean, he's still pretty fast and explosive, his durability and his cardio have gone off a cliff. Those things do (laughs) not get better at 7,000 feet. I don't trust Honey Barcelos to win this fight. Like if Barcelos can like duck under Quinones's first couple of kicks and punches, slam him on the ground and arm triangle him or take his back and choke him out in three minutes, more power to him. And congratulations for staying off the Shillin and Duffy cut list. But the longer this thing goes, the more it turns into a Christian Quinones fight. Like, this fight four years ago, I would have thought is just a horrible style matchup for Quinones. But even if he has rough sledding in the early going, uh, he's going to have reach on Barcelos. He, if he can stay upright, you know, he, he's pretty good. At, at I think he tags Barcelos up and wins two rounds out of three, probably the second and third as Barcelos gets more and more tired. His shots turn from like nice, clean, explosive shots into just trying to crash the pocket and haul on Quinones and drag him down. I Yeah. Give me Quinones to punish Bar- uh, Barcelos from the outside and maybe later on punish him from the inside as he comes in, goes for takedowns. Uh, Barcelos could, you know, really take advantage of him early on the ground, but I, I don't think he does. I think Quinones uh, survives outlasts and picks up the upset win here. Wow. Going against our boy, man. Our and, boys uh, let me down a lot. <laughs> Dude, if he wins, though, we're gonna we're gonna match him against all the top fifteen guys in the division. See, heck yeah, pick him against anybody. Yeah, uh, o- o- O'Malley versus Barcelos. Go, no tapes. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Barcelos the only guy that could that can beat Marab right now. Yep. Uh, yeah, I mean, as as Barcelos has gotten older. You said he got over all the night. It was a little bit of like Alex Volkanovsky on, on Wednesday versus Alex Volkanovsky on Thursday at the at the press conference there, <laughs> falling asleep. Uh, I mean, his, his volume has dropped. Yeah, he he wants to fight at like an Andre Olowski type pace right now. He is technical. He likes to kind of strike. He likes to slip and rip with his right hand. Uh, his hand speed, I, I think, is actually still somewhat okay when we saw against Trevin Jones. But he, I mean, he really struggled with the speed advantage of Uman Magomedov, the kicks. Uh, he showed that he, you know, he, he's got some kicks himself, and and though he doesn't check leg kicks anymore, he he can he can wrestle as you mentioned, and he's got good takedown defense. We try taking him down. He's got good control, good BJJ. I mean, he, I'm sure he can still compete in BJJ tournaments and do well because uh, he's very slick there, nice top control. Uh, yeah, in his prime, he was out grappling, uh, Satan Magomedov, you know, with his, with his being a special. I'm just, I'm, st- I'm still worried about his, his, like, you know, his fading. I'm worried about his chin. I mean, Uman Namagomedov knocked him out with a little short, tight shot. I'm also worried about his cardio. Like, it, that is really slowed down. You mentioned the, the, the altitude. This is a guy that I, I I'm really concerned with the altitude. Kinones. 27 years old, uh, he's a boxer. He's got really long arms, fast hands, stiff jab. Uh, he loves leading with his, like, he loves slipping and then, like, countering with uppercuts, which you don't see that often. He's got really good power. I mean, he's got 10 knockouts. Uh, defensively, though, he keeps his chin high in the air. Uh, he keeps his hands really wide. Uh, he was rocked in his last fight before he got subbed. I haven't seen too much of his ground game other than, you know, defensively. Uh, but he he gives up his back to get up, which is con- concerning. He's been sub, you know, two times as great, including his last fight. 
I have such a hard time at this point really reading Barcelos to seeing if he's, you know, just fall into kind of a mid-card guy or is he completely shot. As soon as I give up on him, he looks pretty good. And then when I think he has something left in the tank, he looks really bad. Corona should have the speed and power advantage. Uh, Barcelos has lost four out of five. But to his credit, they were against much better fighters than I think Quinones is, is right now. That said, I'm not picking Quinones more than I'm picking against Barcelos. I'm going to say that he's faded, and Quinones is too fast for him. I see he gets the better exchange on the feet, and I say he wins the decision win. So give me uh, – we're going to have a consensus upset pair. I'm going to go with Quinones by decision. The six-fight main card – of UFC Mexico opens up with a lightweight matchup between Manuel Torres and Chris Duncan. Torres, the 28-year-old Mexican, is 14-2 overall. He's 2-0 since joining the UFC out of Season 5 of Dana White's Contender Series. He has back-to-back uh, -back first round knockouts of Frank Camacho and Nicolas Mota. Uh, that's the good news. The bad news is he's basically been fighting once a year for the last four or five years. Uh, you know, the Mota fight was last June at the Vittori versus Cannoneer fight night. It's taken him this long to get back into the cage. And uh, he'll be looking for his third UFC win against Duncan, who will be doing the same. Uh, Duncan, 30-year-old Scott. It's always confusing because we had a Chris Duncan and a Christian Duncan, both British, join the UFC like on the same card. Uh, yeah, confusing. But this is Chris Duncan, the, the white lightweight. Christian Duncan is the black middleweight. Anyway, 30-year-old uh, Scott, 11-1 overall, 2-0 since joining the UFC as a two-time veteran of Dana White's Contender Series. He fought on season five, uh, got knocked out early in the second round by Slava Borshov. That's still his only career loss. He came back for uh, season six, knocked out Charlie Campbell. Since then, he's been in the UFC, and he has back-to-back -back decision wins over Omar Morales and Yanal Ashmos. Uh, most recent of those, the Ashmos fight was at UFC London uh, last July. Odds here, very close, but Torres is just the slightest of favorites. He's minus 120, Duncan plus 100. And Keith, this is a hard one for me to call because yeah. when Torres is in the cage, generally speaking, he looks really impressive. But yeah. I, And... Of these two, he's the guy that, yeah, he's an interim gym guy. He's been training at altitude for this fight, but he's still a guy that fights pretty furiously, and he's only been out of the first round once in his entire career. Like He's 14-2. and two. He's only been out of the first round one time. He's, yeah, I mean, on the contender series and then his two UFC fights, he blew through three guys, and only one of them even made it to the halfway point of the first round. So, yeah, he's been training at altitude, but – I have no idea what he'll look like if this goes to the second round. Um, I like both these guys as prospects based basically on the eyeball test because the people they've been beating are not the highest level, like Frank Camacho, gone. Nicholas Mota, I don't think he's gone, but he's below 500 in the UFC. Omar Morales and Yanal Ashmos, uh, again, neither of them a high-level guy. Uh, Duncan is a, a slight underdog here i'm not i mean i i'm i'm coming around on him you know like he was doing well against borshov in his first contender series appearance and then he just got caught and crushed early in the second round aside from that he seems like a, a real solid striker 
Um, you're going to have the X's and O's better than me. But here, these are two guys that are going to want both going to want to keep it on the feet. And of the two of them, Duncan is much bigger. He's going to have a, a reach advantage. He is far more experienced in like making it out of the first round of fights. He's proven that he can be competitive late in a three round fight, whether he's been winning or, or losing. Unless Torres manages to just catch him and crush him early. This is another one where I favor Duncan to pull ahead late. Just again, he's the, the bigger guy. He's the rangier guy. I give me Duncan to win a decision here probably by winning the second and third rounds, but depending on what Torres looks like later in the fight, I could even see a late stoppage. If Torres really, really hits a wall, we, we just don't know. <clears throat> yeah. Um, I mean, I understand why it's, you said it's hard to pick this fight. I mean, look at the better line. It's, it's, it's really close line. Um, I like both these guys. Uh, the one thing I, I will, I, I want to correct. You said that Duncan has a longer reach. Uh, Torres actually has a slightly longer reach. Um, but oh, Torres got the, the them sneaky long arms. But it's like it's like uh, I think it's like seventy two inches, seventy one. Not where it's like it matters. Okay. I think it's, I, I think they say generally the rule is like six inches. If it ain't six inches, yeah. it isn't. Uh, it isn't really much of a difference. Um, Duncan, the, the one thing I don't like about Duncan is that he's he's no, he's a dog, but he's he's a minus athlete. He's not very explosive, but he gets in the pocket. I like his pocket. He's got tight pocket boxing. He's kind of a like hold your ground, throw down in the phone booth kind of guy. He hits really hard. I mean, he has seven knockouts. Uh, he mixes punches and kicks together well. Has a good kicking game, especially um, to the calf kicks. He has a lot of defensive flaws. He lacks head movement. He hangs his hands low. Uh, he can wrestle, uh, but he's yeah, I'd say he's pretty underrated. You know, based on the era that where, where he's from. Um, but he's not. You know, nothing spectacular. He's an Olympic hopeful. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, can they show it? <laughs> um, uh, he he did show uh, a lot of heart on the contender series. When if you remember when he he was hurt bad, he came back to to get a contract, which I always love. Uh, but obviously, getting hurt bad is still never a good look, especially on that level. Uh, Torres, yeah, it, it's you. You mentioned that he doesn't get out of the first round, so it's hard to get a lot of team study on him. Really know this guy. Uh, he's got yeah, he's got some long arms. He's he's, he's got fast hands. I mean, he's good jab, good power. Really complete kicking game. Uh, he loves to keep his distance with his with his front teep kicks. He'll he'll toss out a front kick to the face, uh, but he stands a little too too tall for my liking. I haven't seen too much of his takedown defense. He's not much of a wrestler, but he's but he's he's a slick overall grappler. I mean, he's got six subs on his record. Um, yeah, this fight is close. Uh, I, I would say Torres is the cleaner striker, uh, but Duncan has faced the better competition. He has more power. He's probably the better wrestler. Yeah, I think the line is really good where it's set. Like, I, I this is a tough one. Me, I'm flipping them back and forth. I'm gonna go the opposite though. I'm gonna go with the speed and the in the kicking game of Torres. It does concern me that hasn't gone deep and like, and, and Duncan's such a dog. But you know what? Screw it. Like Mexico needs a nice moment. They haven't had one that's good spectacular. I'll say Torres does it. I'll say he keeps that like first round streak going and and hurts Duncan. And I'm say he puts him on the first round. Give me uh, Torres by first round knockout. All right. Next up on the main card of UFC Fight Night 237 is the lone women's fight on the card. Uh, it is a strawweight clash between Yasmin Haragi and Sam Hughes. 
Howard Gee, the 24-year-old Mexican, is 10-1 and overall. She is 2-1 and since joining the UFC as a former standout in Combate Global. She won her first two fights in the UFC over Yasmin Lucindo and Estela Nunez before running into Denise Gomez at UFC 290 last July, where she got caught and put down in like 20 seconds. So a uh, demoralizing way to lose her first fight in the UFC, her first professional loss period. She'll look to regroup against Hughes. Uh, Hughes, 31-year-old Iowa native, uh, fighting out of Texas, I believe still. She's 8-5 and five overall. She's 3-4 and four since joining the UFC as a former LFA strawweight title challenger. Uh, she, of course, was viral submission of the year victim when Vanessa Demopoulos uh, put her out with a inverted triangle choke back in 2020. But uh, yeah, she made it to the UFC nonetheless. She's coming into this off a win, and she has, in fact, won three of her last four. Uh, she fought just once last year. It was in April at UFC 287, took a unanimous decision over Jackie Amarim. So uh, she'll look to make it two in a row to uh, even up her UFC market 500. She is decidedly not favored to do so. In fact, I believe she's the biggest underdog on the card as Howard Gee comes into this minus 475, Hughes plus 350. For those of you who are enjoying this preview on the podcast platform of your choice, you did not see Keith just do his, that line is weird face. Uh, I'm definitely tossing this one to you. Uh, Howard Gee, is she a future contender who just hit a speed bump or uh, is this line out of whack? And you think Hughes has a solid chance here? Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's, it's just really confusing. A girl gets knocked out in 20 seconds in her last fight. And now she's like this massive favorite against a girl who's won three of her last four fights. So uh, again, like I'm not trying to make saying like Sam Hughes is this world beater, but I think she's, I, I think Sam Hughes is an underrated fighter. Uh, you know, on the feet, she's she's a high output boxer uh, who kind of, you know, technically sound, quick hands, nice jab. Uh, she cuts angles well, uh, set up her crosses, good footwork. She combines kicks well with her punches. Underrated wrestler, but she got takedowns against Lise Reed, Estelle Nunez. Again, like not world beaters, but uh, still UFC level taking, taking girls down. Uh, she likes to work in the clinch and kind of get takedowns from there. She's a weak defensive wrestler. That's something that she really needs to improve her, her takedown defense. I mean, uh, Para Rodriguez took her down four times. Uh, she was taken down by Loma Labumi, which it never sounds good because she's you know such a no for, for Muay Thai, but that's something that's a lot of people can get taken down. But she's she's hard to hold on, and she does well to get back up. Once she's on top, uh, she has three submission wins, though she has been – she was subbed by Vanessa Demopoulos. Um. Gary, you're going off on potential being that big. I mean, I just we're not a betting show, so no. um, I, I want to remind that. So when I make faces like that, I was more of like just like I was very surprised. Like what I I expected her to be the favorite. I expected her to be like yeah. a two to one, two to one. Yeah. For, for for those who don't know, like Keith never looks up the odds beforehand. No. So on a lot of cards, I'll quiz him. Like who do you think is the favorite? So yeah, like you notice yeah. we're not. We're never like here's your parlay or this is your lock yeah. of the night. Just it's Keith showing his legitimate surprise that. Hargi is a five to one favorite here. Yeah. Yeah. And this, there's a lot. I mean, Sean Sheehan does some betting advice. Jay Petrie runs, writes a betting article. There's tons of like other people out there. I mean, it's so much, it seems like everybody has a, a betting advice show. Um, so, I mean, if you ever really to better check those things out. Um, 
but um, yeah, I was just I just I was surprised by it. like I knew Hughes would be the underdog because she never really gets respect. But uh, Gary, she's a very good athlete. She got good volume. She presses forward with her volume, fast hands, accurate, throws combinations. What I love is how big her combination is, the four to six punches. I, I've compared her to this, and I still like it just the way her style, it's kind of like a Yoni on J-Check where, you know, she's attacking mean combinations. But she leaves her to get hit because she gets in, but she doesn't get out of the pocket. Like, she stays in the pocket a long time. So she, because of that, you got to get hit. Uh, when she is, you know, working the outside, she moves well. Good footwork. She likes to avoid shots uh, by L-stepping, and she's got good power. I mean, she's got five KOs, you know, which is big. She also has a killer instinct. When she gets hurt, she's going to swarm. Mean calf kicks, though she'll throw naked leg kicks. The problem is, and this is what we saw in her last fight, she keeps her chin super high in the air, like asking to get blasted, and she was obviously blasted in her last fight. Uh, she can battle in the clinch. Uh, she's a – not a great offensive wrestler. She's a bad defensive wrestler, but she does well to get back to her feet. And the, the times I've seen her grapple and she gets on top, she has some mean ground upon. This is actually, you know, this man, I really thought this was a test for Harrigy uh, that, you know, Hughes is an underrated fighter. I thought it was one of the most intriguing fights on the card. I think the line is way off. He, I actually think Hughes is the more polished fighter. Man, now I'm like tempted to to take this big upset. Like, like if you're doing like a DraftKings lineup, give me Hughes. Like, if to save some some money so I can get some other people with, with you know, um, the the thing is, Carrigi has has more options. She's she's faster. Um, she's she's obviously uh like if you told me someone's one of these fighters are fighting a, in a main event one day, I'll say oh, Harry. Yeah, uh, but Hughes is a dog, so. I'm going to still favor Carrie because her speed, her power, her volume, but it would not surprise me if he was pulls the offset. But I'll say Carrie's just too good of an athlete. Give me Harry Gee by decision. I I love that you just teetered on the edge of picking the massive upset here. Uh, you mentioned that I'd you know. Sprinkle. I'd, I'd sprinkle if I was better. Sprinkle. Uh, you mentioned that that our guy Sean Sheehan. You know, anyone that calls me a lad is he's okay in my book. Uh, you know, he'll, he does his top five picks for the week every time. And he'll do four, like, you know, like kind of regular picks. And he'll do his flyer of the week. This is absolutely the kind of fight that he would, sure. would end up as his, as his flyer of the week. Because by the eyeball test, Howard Gee looks, obviously has way more upside. She's far younger. She's much more athletic. Uh, and by the, you know, <laughs> I lost my, my, my train of thought. Uh but the, 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 the Sean, just a good job, Sean. When you make it, when he takes a flyer, it's like it's like when people make a bold prediction. Like he's not yeah. expecting it to win, but he's saying like it's better than the what the odds say that it is. Yeah, it's kind of like like I remember when I, like people make oh I'm gonna make a bold prediction. They're like all right, what's your bold prediction? Um, Rob's gonna win the title. It's like picking the number one contender to win the title is not really bold. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know, like like, like Mar- 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 you like Yeah, then you have like the stupid one, like that's like, oh, I'll be super bold, and like, oh, uh, the Derek Lewis is gonna be John Jones, and he's gonna uh, submit him. Like, okay, that's just being stupid. <laughs> <laughs> All right, sorry. Yeah, no, you're. Uh, I I like that you mentioned that Hughes is underrated because I'm one of the people that underrated her, and it's. It's a combination of a couple things. It's one is the the lack of obvious size or athleticism, and then two that 
she first came into kind of my consciousness with a couple of like lopsided or embarrassing losses. Like, you know, when in the first couple of fights where I watch you, you get put to sleep on Vanessa Demopoulos' highlight reel. You get just absolutely shit kicked by Tisha Torres. I'm going to put you in a certain box. There's, you know, there's 600 fighters in the UFC. It's it's hard to keep track of all of them. And then next thing I know, she's beating, I mean, she's at least beating the lower level fighters. Like she's, uh, and, and yeah, that's it. She's won three of her last four. She's become a solid kind of, middle of the road straw weight in the UFC. That is the kind of fighter that Hargi should beat. But if she catches Hargi slipping, you know, p- punishes her for some of her defensive lapses, or if Hughes just manages to get her on the ground and Hargi has trouble getting back up and Hughes is all of a sudden winning rounds that way. It's not that shocking here. I'm, I am going with Hargi. I'm, you know, I, it, it would be the biggest, probably the biggest underdog I, I, I'd pick all year. But I, I'm going with with Haragi as she's been training at altitude. She's by far the younger fighter. So there's more of a chance that she has made market improvements, short up deficiencies in her game. Whereas Hughes at 31 has probably plateaued. Uh, and the other thing about Haragi fight is, yeah, like she she has those terrible defensive lapses. Denise Gomez is the only one who's ma- been able to make her pay for him so far. And even there, if those two fought 10 times, maybe they go five and five, four and six, six and four. But it doesn't look like that every time because Gomez, it's it's almost <laughs> yeah. it's almost a mirror match where Gomez is also athletic, powerful, reckless, has some uh, some defensive lapses of her own. They, yeah, I mean, they fight again six months from now. Maybe it's Hargi catching Gomez, like you know, slipping and putting her down in the first round. I, I still believe cautiously in Hargi's upside. I think she's got enough to get past Hughes here. If, if Hughes is just kind of stuck boxing with a faster, harder hitting woman, it's gonna be ugly, and and that, that's what I'm I'm going for here. Her only. TKO loss was because her like face was messed up by Tisha Torres, not because she was knocked out. So mm-hmm. I'm not going to pick that to happen here, but give me Hargi to win a pretty lopsided fight and for Sam Hughes to look like she's been through the grinder at the end of it. Yeah, I'll say this. So about Sam Hughes and upsets, her last fight, her opponent, Jacqueline Emerson, was a three to one favorite and Sam Hughes beat her. So be careful. And if I looked, I bet Hughes has been the underdog in the vast majority of her UFC fights. She, she's just going to be that type. She's she sticks around. She's going to be that Roxanne Modafferi type that she's an underdog every time. Everyone she fights is more athletic than her, and she jumps up and and you know snatches wins off of more than her share of them. Yeah, I just look. She she's won three to four. She was the underdog in all four fights, so she pulled three upsets already. Boom. And one like, of them hurt. One of her. Jacqueline Amaran was a three to one favorite against her. I mean, she lost her first three UFC fights. Torres, Loma, Luana Pinero. UFC could have cut her right then. Instead, that, that ain't bad people to lose to. No. All it, three of them. Yeah. And I think that she take the Tisha Torres fight really short notice. That I think that's how she got to the UFC in the first place. Yeah. yeah. Or maybe it was yeah. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. Torres was her debut. Yeah. The UFC Mexico main card powers on with a 
Bantamweight matchup between teenage phenom Raul Rosas Jr. and Ricky Tercios. Rosas, the now 19-year-old, is 8-1 and one overall. He's 2-1 and one since joining the UFC out of uh, Season 6 of Dana White's Contender Series. He won his last time out, knocked out Terrence Mitchell in under a minute at Noche UFC last September. That allowed him to bounce back from his first career loss, which took place at UFC 287 last April, where he was outlasted and kind of just outfought to a righteous unanimous decision loss by Christian Rodriguez. Uh, He'll try to make it two in a row and reestablish himself as uh, someone to watch for the next decade in the UFC at the expense of uh, Tercios. Tercios, 30-year-old Houston native. He's 12-3 and overall. He is also 2-1 and since uh, trying every which way to get into the UFC. He fought on the very first episode of Dana White's Contender Series. It may have been the first fight because the guy that beat him, Boston Salmon, was the first fighter ever signed out of Dana White's Contender Series. So, yeah, he was there for the very first episode of the Contender Series. Uh, He's, of course, the winner of Tough 29. He also was a high-level contender in, in Fury. Uh, while he is not Mexican, uh, he is uh, El Salvadoran on one side, I think Filipino on the other, fluent in Spanish. If he wins and gets uh, on the mic afterwards, believe me, they're going to love him. Uh, but the odds makers do not favor him to be getting on the mic afterwards as Raul Rosas Jr. is a prohibitive favorite. He's minus 275, Tercios uh, plus 220 on the comeback. I love Ricky Tercios. I know him personally i think he's an absolutely delightful dude he's a hell of a lot of fun to watch as a fighter he is ideal as a foil for our rosas jr because i mean if rosas wins this this is his best ufc win so far tercios is a tough winner he's a guy above 500 in the same division the problem is tercios to me is a a little bit like a bantamweight patty pimblet where his best feature is his ground game and it's not a, it's not a lights out ground game we're not talking about abu dhabi ricky here but you know he's a long lanky tricky scrambly guy who's a better wrestler than you think he is and uh, uh just a good grappler um that's that's really his best skill set but he just wants to be in fun fights and engages in wild brawls on the feet to his detriment uh that's bad news uh, against a guy like Raul Rosas Jr., I think. Uh, Raul Rosas Jr., obviously, he's uh, he's a prodigy on the ground, but his striking game is developing, and it seems to be developing quickly. Uh, he has good physical tools for it. He is a big bantamweight. I don't know if he's still going to be making bantamweight when he's 25 or 28 years old, but he's a big bantamweight, not just in terms of height and wingspan, but got muscle on his frame. Like, you know, we joke about him, like, missing his high school prom to fight in the UFC and stuff, but if you saw a dude that looked like this walking down the halls of your high school, you'd be a little intimidated. Like, like, uh, I, I just, I like this for Rosas wherever this goes. Like, if they if they stay on the feet, Rosas hits harder. He's not defensively perfect, but he's a more disciplined striker than Tercios is. If it goes to the ground, Tercios is a little more freewheeling and scrambly, where Rosas is going to be bigger more positionally sound i it's hard for me to see like plausible routes to victory for my guy ricky here because even the great equalizer that we've mentioned in almost every fight the 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 seven thousand foot thing 
yeah, like Tercios has been training at altitude for a while, but <clears throat> he has decent three round cardio. We, we've not really seen too much reason to be concerned about Raul Rosas Jr.'s cardio. I mean, he got tired in the Christian Rodriguez fight, but I, I, I think he would have lost that fight anyway, even if he were like fresh in the, in the third. Give me Raul Rosas Jr. to get a pretty one-sided decision here over Ricky Tercios, where he kind of gets the better of it everywhere. Yeah, so I just uh, looked up what was the first Dana White Contender Series fight. Yeah, it just had me curious. It was uh, it, the that was on the card. That wasn't the very first fight. The very first fight was Joby Sanchez versus Manny Vasquez. With Joby Sanchez, wow. you know, you know, his decision. But um, <laughs> I, while you were previewing this, I was thinking about um, Rojas. You know, being dude's just now nineteen. He's fighting his fourth fight in the UFC. He's 19, you know, which is which is absurd. He's he's going to blow up all, all the records for number of fights by this birthday or that birthday. Like we're oh, thinking, you, yeah. thinking your your Sage yeah. North cuts, your Macy Barbers, yeah, as long as he Joneses, yeah, yeah, as long as he doesn't fit, you know get some serious injury where he's out for a year and a half or something like that. But yeah, if he stays somewhat healthy, he's fighting two or three times a year. Yeah, um, and and what keeps winning, he doesn't get cut or something like that. Yeah. Um, it's funny. I was watching the, there was like a press conference for guys that fight on UFC 300 and they were asking Jim Miller about UFC 400 making a joke. Raul Rosas could actually really fight on UFC 400 one day. Oh, easily. And it's it, it's going like, to be like six or seven years from now. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he'd be like 20 seconds. Like he could fight on UFC 500. Like, I'm not betting on that, but it's it's not of the realm of possibility, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, he, now at that point he'd be probably is early 30, 30s. 30, oh, I think he maybe. wouldn't. He wouldn't be. The UFC does twelve or thirteen numbered pay per views a year. They're going to be six or seven years apart. Uh, Two hundred so four, fourteen years from now would be thirty three. Jeez, <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> Dude can, who knows? Maybe as a Jim Miller crazy, he, he can fight at UFC six hundred. Um, yeah, that's crazy. Uh, it's, so there's there's a lot of. I mean, the dude's 19. So I mean, it, it, every time I you break down this guy, you have to put that like star. Like he's just becoming a man now. Now mm-hmm. I, again, I went on this rant last time. I understand that like 17 year olds like storm the beaches of Normandy. Like, yeah, I, I understand that. <laughs> so, yeah. um, but. He's he's at an age where, who knows, his life is just starting. We could see a completely different person than we've seen in his last three fights. Uh, what I've liked about him, he's, he's got fast hands. He's a pretty strong guy who hasn't even reached his strength years. He he showed in his last fight that he seems like he's coming into his power. Now, he needs to improve his striking. His, his technique is still very raw. Uh, but he has good volume. He can fight out of both stances. He will swing wildly. Um his volume dropped greatly in the Christian Rodriguez fight. He throws a lot of kicks, but they're kind of ineffective. He likes flying attacks, Superman punches, knees, kind of like, you know, it's kind of a way to like close a distance without, you know, a little quicker. He can wrestle, but he struggled to take Christian Rodriguez down. If he gets on top, he's got good top game, advances position on the ground. He's, he's a good BJJ practitioner, mean back takes, 
uh, mean ground and pound. He has a submission artist. He's got five subs. He almost got a sewer stretch in, in one of his UFC bouts. He he does chase submissions that aren't there though in loose position. Uh, he also isn't a good defensive wrestler. But the biggest concern is one, as you mentioned, his size. Like I'm always worried about the weight cut for this guy because he's still growing. He's 19. <laughs> you know, I mean, would it be that shocking if when he's 26 years old, he is a jacked lightweight? No, like he's not going to get too much taller, but he's got the frame that he can yeah. carry more muscle easily. No, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but the biggest concern is with, you know, the weight class and everything and his age and what we've seen against Christian Rodriguez, him gassing out like he gassed bad in that fight. Mm-hmm. Uh, Turkey, I'm going to you said his best part of his game is his his ground game. I'm going to disagree with that. Okay. I'm not saying his striking is the best part of the game, but his pressure is. I mean, okay. he wins solely on volume. He's a very unorthodox striker, constantly switching stances, herky-jerky kind of type fighter who at times would just hold his ground instead of allowing his opponent to step back. Um, but then he had like weird fight. He was like clapping at his opponents and not doing, you know, wasting volume. But like, I'm talking about when he was on the ultimate fight show where he had his like best performance, the best run of his career. He was just beating guys with volume. Opponents have a hard time picking up his striking due to all the crazy things he do, the way he moves is kind of crazy. It's, you know, unusual. It takes them a little bit of time. Uh, he does a lot of up and down feints, which you don't see. I think his hands are you know, somewhat quick. Uh, he attacks with combinations. His check right hook from the southpaw stance is kind of his best strike. He blends punches and kicks together well. He loves throwing down in the pocket for a brawl. Um, he kind of trusts his chin too much. I think, like you said, it's also what you said, trying to get a bonus entertain the crowd uh which is n- not a good idea if you're the less skilled fighter but he's to his credit he's got a chin i mean go back to the danny ortega fight Ortega was teeing off on him and he was eating fights he's a guy when he gets rocked he doesn't back forward he actually reacts by moving forward and pressing the action even more uh he can land takedowns does pretty well like he, he's deceiving the way you look at it. you don't think he's a guy that would like blast through your hips but he he will and he chained Chains takedowns together well, good at winning scrambles, good at just kind of keeping the hips moving and, and making stuff happen. But he's a weak defensive wrestler. I mean, he was taken down multiple times on the Ultimate Fighter show. He was taken down six times by Brady. He's standing, he was taken down seven times by Kevin Natividad in that last fight. Uh, he's a submission threat off his back, very active at tossing up submissions. Uh, he also has, uh, he also has like uses subs to kind of create space to try to get on top. Uh, Best strength is cardio, and, and cardio is to him is one of these guys. It's just it's a tool. If if Horace Rojas takes him down and, and works him on top, you know that that is the best avenue of victory I think for Horace. Even though he has a striking advantage, but being on top, using his size, I, I think it'd be really good for him. I'm not very high on Tercios, and I want Rojas to be good. He, he obviously of the two fighters has a way much. Up, you know, way bigger upside of of these two guys. I think he batters Tercios early on the feet, maybe from the top position. But you know what? I keep thinking about that gas tank, and I haven't seen a fix yet. I'm gonna go the opposite, man. I'm gonna go with an up big upset. I think Tercios gonna weather the storm. I think he's gonna take over. I think it's gonna be one of these like veteran victories where that veteran dog is still in the fight and still hanging on. Is it like, like a Gerald Mershaw type fight or Darren Elkins type fight where he's the less skilled fighter, but he's crafty and he's pressing a 19 year old and beat him the mental game. 
And I think the volume basically gasses Horas on and, and Tercios starts winning the second round, starts winning the third. I guess he even see like a late submission for him. But uh, I'll I'll say I'll say Rojas makes a decision, but he drops the last two rounds and loses. Uh, I'll say really close. I'll say a split decision loss. Uh, give me Tercios by split decision. All right, man. You just picked a Houston fighter in a pretty significant upset that I didn't have the balls to pick. If this plays out for you, you are an honorary Texan, and I will send you a care package for uh, like of just Bucky stuff, it's like a bunch of snacks. <laughs> it's and about and stuff. Yep. <laughs> All right. There. There we go. Third from the top at UFC Fight Night 237 is a lightweight clash between Daniel Zellhuber and Francisco Prado. Zellhuber, the 24-year-old Mexican by way of Las Vegas, is 14-1 and overall. He's 2-1 and in the UFC. Uh, he made it to the UFC by uh, beating Lucas Almeida on Dana White's Contender Series. That was season five. He lost a unanimous decision to Trey Ogden in his debut. He has back-to-back wins over Lando Venata and Christos Iago since then. Like many fighters on this card, his most recent fight was at Noche UFC last September. He guillotined Iago's in the second round there. He'll look to make it three in a row, certify himself as one of the brightest young prospects in that division against Prado. Uh, Prado, just 21 years old, uh, Argentinian by way of Florida. He trains at the Goat Shed. He is 12-1 and one overall. He's 1-1 one and one in the UFC. Like uh, Zell Huber, he lost his debut, dropped a decision to Jamie Malarkey. He came back with a first-round knockout of Atman Azetar at uh, UFC on ESPN Home versus Bueno Silva in July. Uh, so uh, two young prospects who kind of stubbed their toes in their UFC debuts and have looked impressive ever since. One has to win, one has to lose. The odds makers think it's going to be Zellhuber winning. He is minus 270, Prado plus 220 on the comeback. Keith, I'm definitely tossing this one to you first, uh, but Zellhuber is the kind of guy, and we talk about this a lot, how important the zero is for the amount of attention and the amount of hype you get. Trey Ogden is the exact kind of trap fight, just the kind of gritty, tough, wily veteran that's a total landmine for a you know twenty-two year old prospect. If Zellhuber is a top ten lightweight in a couple of years, if he's a title contender five years from now, we may look back on that Ogden fight as the best thing ever to happen to him. Because I mean, he'd be having like if he was three and zero in the UFC right now, fifteen and zero overall he'd have a level of hype that would be make it impossible to match him like responsibly. Yeah. So, sure. Uh, uh, tell me how much you believe in either of these guys. I mean, Prado's super young as well. Not quite as touted. Uh, tell me who you think wins this one. Oh, uh, note, note for uh, uh, the listeners, since I'm kind of providing updates here. And by the way, uh, my little tidbits about, fighters training at, at altitude or, or the ones that have already been training at altitude down in Mexico. That comes from a tweet by one of the guys from MMA odds breaker. So, you know, hat tip to them. It I'm sure it took a lot of research. So, you know, we appreciate it. We've made use of it throughout yeah. this uh, podcast, <clears throat> MMA odds breaker. Good show. Good guys. Anyway. Uh, and, Zell and, Hooper, and that's why you're the best in business. Cause I wouldn't get the credit. I would use, I would have pretended like that was all my knowledge. <laughs> I, that, was, that was, I was slaving over the, the research I was doing, finding a way guys are training. Uh, 
Zell Hooper has been an extreme couture guy for a while, but he has been training at altitude in Mexico. Prado's training in Miami, but he's been training at a place called Air Lab, like yeah. along with the goat shed where they simulate low pressure situations. That sounds absolutely fucking terrifying yeah. to me. Like, yeah, the research I do, I actually called them and then I actually took a trip down there to see it and experience it. And that's the kind of pop. Like, yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't go to the MMA odds breaker to find out. I, you know, I had to experience and get multiple sources to confirm this stuff. And yeah, uh, obviously I'm, I'm joking. Yeah. Uh, th- this is, a, this is a fight that I'm really intrigued with. I think it's two of the best, uh, you know, two good prospects. It's really intriguing based on their age. Zellhuber, I mean, he's only 24, so I love that. Long and lengthy guy. I, I like the way he uses his length to keep his distance, sets up his shots with feints really well. Uh, he kind of, you know, feints, feints, gets his opponents to draw an attack that he can counter good. Quick hands, nice long jab that kind of keeps his opponents honest. I love that he crushes the body. He's got good power. He kind of has that tall man strength, and, and he's not really in his power years yet. He avoids... He avoids shot like defensively. Some of the things I don't like. He avoids shots with shoulder rolls, which uh, it can be effective to kind of deflect shots, but never looks good to the judges. He ate some really good shots from Christos Jagos, uh, but that's a that's a good fighter, <laughs> you know. Uh, he brawls a little too much for my liking, which you know it's fun. So I should I shouldn't say that it's fun, but if I'm his coach, I'm not wanting that because he's, he can be such a good distance fighter. He tends to get hurt too in, in a lot of fights. Again, because defense is second to him. Incredibly kicking him, though. He tosses up head kicks so quickly. He loves the question mark kicks, nice calf kicks. Though sometimes he'll throw naked. I like that he'll get in the clinch and use his size and kind of win in there before he gets in close. He had a big, incredible judo throw, I think, a tennis I mean, I'll go back a little bit. But he's like a tennis year, incredible uh, judo throw. Mean ground a pound. He's got two submission wins. Prado. Only 21. You got to love that. Well-rounded fighter. He's a pressure counter-striker. Looked really fast against Ottoman Azatar. I thought that was a really impressive win. He loves his left hook, though. He can kind of look for it too much, but he has power. I mean, he's got six TKO, TKOs despite not even being close to his power years either. He really springs into his shot. He does He does throw wild strikes like a crazy man at times, which you know is going to give him chances to get countered. Uh, a lot of looping punches, loves some spinning attacks, throws some hard high kicks. He avoids strikes by cutting angles and L-step, which I like. He can wrestle fast entries. He showed like he can pick a guy up and use his, his strength and slam his opponents. Weak defensive wrestler and, and struggle to get off the bottom. But if he's on top, he's got mean ground and pound. He's got six submission wins. He almost hit a Kimura in a fight against Jamie Marker. He lost. Cardio is a question mark because he's never gone uh, deep into fights and, and, and won. And he, and he did slow down against Jamie Malarkey in their fight. The, you know, the, the one fight that I believe that he went to a decision that, you know, he lost that one. Yeah. This this is a fun fight. Um, I like both guys. I really like both these guys moving forward. I just can't get past the size of, of Zell Hooper. I say he weathers some power shots from Pareto early and he just starts picking apart from range, using those kicks, you know, going to the body. Give me Zell Hooper by decision. Yeah, I, I I like the breakdown there. And it's obvious that both guys have a lot of upside. Just one, they both have good physical tools. Uh, 
Zell Hooper has standout physical tools just because he is so big, uh, but it's not like Prado is small. And of the two of them, Prado's the guy that like is packed with muscle on his uh, on his frame uh, as well. I underestimated Prado coming in, uh, and I always underestimate fighters that come from uh, Samurai Fight House in Argentina. It's the uh, promotion where I, I kind of famously made fun of that woman. Uh, who's the one that came in, won one fight, and started saying, Amanda Nunes, I'm coming for you? Uh, uh, <laughs> Zhang's girlfriend? <laughs> <I don't know>. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's, it's the one where... You I don't. Know, I, don't remember, I don't remember anybody calling out. Oh man, it is. They're 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 fighting on the, uh, you know, interlocking, you know, daycare foam mats, uh, and he was fighting <sighs> super low level people in that promotion. You know what happens? We preview so many fights that like, by the time like, you know, we talk about old fights and and recap, we're already like, for example, when people listen to this we're already previewing the next card. We're already working like in that of next yeah. week's card. So asking me to go back to remember somebody. Yeah. Good, good luck. It's, it, it's hard. Uh, at, at any rate, Prado at, at best was an unknown quantity. And then when, you know, Jamie Malarkey just kind of outsmarted, outlasted and handled him. I was like, okay, he's not going to be long for the UFC. And honestly, he still got a lot to prove. He, he crushed Otman Azatar, but that's a win that's not going to age well. I can already tell. You know, uh, Azatar had all the momentum in the world before Potato Gate, and he's 0-2 since then, and he's got knocked out both times. Like, Otman Azatar may never win another fight. We don't know. Uh, but Prado, just based on the eyeball test, based on his physical tools, uh, you know, he, he's a guy to watch. Zell Huber is a little more proven. Yeah, obviously, he's a little older. He was fighting on higher level regional shows. And now he has back-to-back wins over solid mid roster guys like Lando Venata and Christos Yagos. Neither of them was ever a top 15 lightweight, but they're both guys that have been in the UFC for, you know, the better part of a decade and have generally not been an easy out for anyone. Like Zell Huber cautiously appears to be the real thing. And I, I love kind of your breakdown of his offensive skill set. You and I both love fighters that go to the body. It's underused in MMA. It's so effective. Um, he has the defensive issues you mentioned, and Prado could certainly make him pay for those. He hits super hard. But Zell Huber's the one that I'm going to trust more out of the two the longer this fight goes. Just he has more experience going deeper into fights with better fighters. And I'm just higher on him in general. I think his physical tools are better. He has more of a complete skill set at this point, and he's been fighting better fighters. Uh, give me Zell Huber to take over. You know, maybe we have a really fun, wild first round, and he just really starts to establish dominance as they go on. He figures Prado out. He stays fresher than Prado, and he wins this thing going away after a, a really back-and-forth first round. With that, we come to the co-main event of UFC Mexico, the first of two five-round rematches to uh, to cap off this card. It is a pair of former featherweight title challengers in Yair Rodriguez and Brian Ortega. Rodriguez, the 31-year-old Mexican, 
is 19 and four with one no contest overall. He is 10 and three since joining the UFC as uh, a veteran of the first season of Tough Latin America. He fought most recently at UFC 290 last July, got really dominated and eventually stopped by Alexander Volkanovsky in what turned out to be the last defense of Volkanovsky's title reign. Uh, Ortega, 32-year-old from Southern California, is 15-3 and with one no contest overall. He's 7-3 and with one no contest in the UFC. Uh, While he has been a top-level contender in the division for what feels like forever at this point, uh, he has lost three of his last four, though in his defense, those were in a title challenge against Max Holloway in a title challenge against Alexander Volkanovsky and in his first meeting with Rodriguez about 18 months ago in the headliner of UFC on ABC three, that fight, a fun back and forth fight ended late in the first round when uh, Ortega suffered a low percentage shoulder injury. There was plenty of carping back and forth, you know, Rodriguez claiming that he had hurt that shoulder with a kick earlier in the fight. Ortega saying it was just a freak thing that happened. Whatever the case, these two have kept the rivalry hot ever since. The UFC remade the fight uh, kind of as soon as they could get the two fighters' schedule synced up. And wouldn't you know it, all of a sudden, this is a much more important fight than we thought it was 24 to 36 hours ago as Alexander Volkanovsky, who beat both of these guys soundly, is no longer your champ. All of a sudden, the winner of this fight may be second or third in line for a title shot, depending on how you feel about Movsar Evloyev. Odds here do find Rodriguez a slight to moderate favorite. He's out there around minus 180 or so, Ortega plus 150. Keith, Definitely going to throw this one to you first. Obviously, we saw these two guys fight. Uh, I mean, we saw them fight for four minutes anyway. Uh, We previewed that one ahead of the fight. If I remember correctly, we both picked Rodriguez, though I don't think either of us picked him by first round TKO, whether due to injury or otherwise. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I'm, I'm flipping this one to you first, but let me kind of plant this question did you see anything in that four minutes that really surprised you or made you think differently about this rematch other than obviously the way it ended um if i answer that I, i'll give away my pick right away um okay then then just go ahead and, yeah, and take it yeah. as, as you will yeah no just because so i'll, I'll say yeah year you know just because he's been more active for it. i usually try to start with the guy that i think deserves like the the to go first like who's the, the a side uh but in this case they're, they're both a side kind of guys uh rodriguez he's one of the greatest athletes i've like ever seen in in, in the game i mean it, if he wasn't fighting mma this guy could be like an olympic gymnast or something i mean he's that that level of I mean, especially like the Mexican Olympic team. <laughs> so he strikes uh, you as the kind of guy that could do any sport he wanted to that like constrained only by his physical size and probably be pretty damn good at it. Yeah. He could go to like a trampoline park and you'd be like, look, dude, look at that dad doing like eight backflips. What the hell's going on? <laughs> um, I mean, he, he's a great striker, very good output. Um, very, especially from distance, like good, good striking from distance, accurate. Is uh, used to be a big, just big kicker, but his, his boxing has been sharp. Great jab. I love that he doubles it up, which you don't see enough in MMA. 
one of the and one of the historically one of the best kickers in the game. I always tell the story when I was in Boston and and doing some videos for Sure Dog, and he was there was an open workout which they don't really do it that often anymore. But he was there and he was kicking pads and and I'm telling you he was hitting the pads harder than Dominic Reyes throwing high kicks. It was just different. Uh, the guy, I mean the guys. I mean, his kicks are incredible. His, I love his teep kicks, uh, mean calf kicks, some of the meanest body kicks. Uh, he, he can also go to the head, like just he's got that, that quick twitch thing going. Where he can just go to the head super fast. He is great going low and then going high the next time, like his next like burst. Uh, BJ Penn. Yeah, he has Penn a pipe. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's a yeah, perfect example. Oh, my God. I tried putting the BJ Penn fight on my memory. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, he's got those uh, mean, like, John Jones oblique kicks going. He has so many, so much of a variety in his tax. You never know what's going to happen. He's, he's creative, so it's hard to, hard to guess. Even when you blitz him, you don't know if he's going to, like, duck down and throw, like, a upward elbow and knock you out like he did the Korean zombie. Uh, he'll go airborne with a flying knee or kick or something. Just so I, I feel like he just—he's one of these guys. Like it's the first round when he's fighting, he does so much like high level athleticism. And things. It seems like he's like a guy who's about to do a basketball game, and he's and he's he's jumping, hitting the backboard and stuff like part of his routine. And his routine is like do a triple flying kick. You know, uh, he's has a he's really coming to his power recently. Not a great. You know, wrestler, not, definitely a weaker defensive wrestler. Uh, but I mean, I'd say his defense has got better, but particularly what's got really bad is his ground game. I mean, he's a submission threat on the ground. He uses long lengths to kind of uh, extend his opponent so he can land strikes and then, you know, with elbows and, and this and that. And then he's got some slick submission. Uh, his arm bar to triangle transition is beautiful. I mean, he subbed Josh Emmett with a triangle. Move on to Brian Ortega. Uh, big for the weight class, big guy. He's also athletic, not not to your years level, but he's a, he's a good athlete. Fights out of both stances. Uh, a guy that one time I used to think was a very one dimensional fighter. That's not the case. I mean, he's a good striker now. Uh, works from distance with a good jab. I mean, he jabbed up Korean Zombie in their fight. The issue is he doesn't really let his power go. He doesn't step in and, and, and land a knockout. He's not going. He's most likely not going to start you. I, I do like that he works the body. Uh, defensively, he, he blocks shots by pillaring, and that's why in the Volkanovski fight, Volkanovski was able to rip his body because he's bringing those hands so high. He's got a good kicking game. He throws a lot of kicks, and, and some of that's because he ain't worried to for the fight to go to the ground if he just like his call it. He's he's a really good grappler. Great takedown, uh, you know, great with the takedowns. Loves to he, if, if you get if you present it, he loves to reach over your head and jump into a guillotine for the standing position. And the way he grapples, I've said this before, he has a very Charles Oliveira style where it's more opportunistic than, than talent or, or opportunistic than technical, I should say. He kind, of, he kind of just finds it open and he just seizes on it. Uh, he, he jumps for anything that's there. He isn't going to take you down and grind you and hold you down and slowly work position. That's not Brian Ortega's game. And, and obviously a big part of that is that he's not that – dynamic wrestler too to like shoot in run the pipe stuff like that uh he, he's more of a just reach for a takedown uh he'll pull guard he is 32 so that age is is a concern because right at that part when people start to decline 
he's also dealt with a slew of injuries recently. So as, as far as prediction goes, it's it's really hard to have confidence in Brian Ortega at this point in his career. He he's won one fight in the last six years. I mean, he's he's either lost the top guys or been on the sidelines with injuries. Rodriguez on the end, he's looked incredible lately. I mean, taking out the Volkanovski fight because if you're the second or third best in the world, that's going to happen to you when you face the best. I think Rodriguez batters Ortega with shots on the feet. Uh, he was do- he was doing that early on in, in the fight. In the first fight, he was kind of having his way, particularly with his kicks. I think, I think he's gonna, I think he's gonna put a stamp on this one. I think he's gonna have a spectacular showing. I'm going to say he stops him. I'm going to say he, he lands something, maybe a high kick or something. I say he does in the second round. Give me Rodriguez my second round knockout. Yeah, I love the, the breakdown there. And obviously, Ortega is at this point still just a 32-year-old man, although he'll be 33 by the time he steps into the cage. Uh, and still, at, at least as of right now, a top 10 featherweight, so a top 10 fighter in one of the two or three best divisions in the sport. I, I am by no means shoveling dirt onto the man's career. Like who knows what he could do from here, but. He wasted the prime years. I would, that's what I'm coming around to. We never mention him in the same breath as Dominic Cruz, Cain no. Velasquez, but he is low key. A what might've been story. in MMA just with the amount of talent he has the amount of skill he has the combination of his injuries and then you can argue that this thing was never really his first love like in in much the same way that not Nate but Nick Diaz you can tell there's a part of Nick Diaz that just wishes he had spent the last 20 years doing jujitsu competitions and triathlons Like, like Brian Ortega likes surfing at least as much as fighting. And he, even when he was still on his way up, like as as late as like 2018 heading, like coming out of the max or coming out of the Frankie Edgar win, going into the max Holloway fight. He was saying, he's like, I don't really want to fight more than twice a year. I don't like making the weight cut. It cuts into my time to do other stuff that I love to do like, like surfing. So yeah, even if I win the belt, I'm going to be a two fights per year, max fighter. And he has delivered on that. And then some, because he's been a one or no fights per year fighter since then. It is a bummer. Like, selfishly, to me, it's a bummer. For him, I am happy for him that he, to some extent, has lived his best life. But at any rate, coming coming into this, yeah. It was an interesting matchup, you know, 18 or 20 months ago that that seemed to favor Rodriguez. And since then, Rodriguez has fought two more times, looked good, and Ortega's fought not at all, battled some injuries. So all the variables would seem to favor Rodriguez here. I'm with you. Rodriguez is one of the just most spectacular athletes we've ever seen in this sport. Just so fast, so accurate, so powerful. Ortega is a great athlete as well, but, you know, Rodriguez is the kind of athlete who would make a, probably make a great gymnast. Ortega is like a surfer. He's just smooth. Super strong, incredible balance, deceptively fast. Like that, that's kind of his thing. On his way up, I mean, I, I've said this ahead of his other fights. He made it all the way to a UFC title shot without winning a single round. Yeah, it's crazy. You it, know, it, it, we're talking about beach sports. Like Ortega's the guy surfing, 
and, and uh, yeah, yeah, Rodriguez is a guy getting pulled by the boat, like hit, hitting the waves and doing flips. And well, you know, they do like, uh, like yeah, the wakeboarding thing, yeah, yeah, where you're holding onto the rope and you're doing like triple flips. And, but, but he's and, the maniac doing it like in the bare feet. You've seen this, yeah, yeah, that's 100 percent, uh, Yair. Uh, that that didn't carry the day once he reached the real, real elite of the division, but even there, you know, he took time out of taking a historic beat down from Holloway to have like his best round of the fight in like the fourth round. He was getting just absolutely taken to the woodshed by Alexander Volkanovsky and almost won the fight. You know, the only 10 seconds of the fight he won were almost enough to, to win him a title here. He's got some sort of prayer of that. Like, unless his body betrays him, he is a shockingly tough guy. He, uh, add him to the list. He can go right in there with, you know, I, I named him Alan Joban, Mackenzie Dern, Michelle Watterson, the like shockingly good looking fighters who fight like they don't give a damn about their face. Like Ortega at the end of like, you know, the Holloway fight. I, I think Ortega is in this thing, but just getting much, much the worse of it, you know, until either his body betrays him or Rodriguez hits him in the head enough times that he's just out. Yeah, I'm with you, man. Like, Ortega is uh, an incredibly venomous submission specialist who's never had real clear ways to get the fight to the ground against the elite. He's a very good striker fighting a super elite striker. Yeah, this is this is just going to be a wood chipper fight. Uh, you said second round. I, I think Ortega comes into this with something to prove. We get one of those two tough for his own good fights. I'm going to say, I'm going to say Rodriguez wins. And I'm going to say it's a uh, doctor stoppage between rounds. Like Rodriguez puts, puts it on him for four rounds. This thing gets stopped between the fourth and fifth rounds. Just cause like either Ortega's eye is shut or, or something along those lines, or he's got some heinous cut. But yeah, give me Rodriguez to win in dominant fashion and we get some sort of stoppage in the late rounds like that. And the arena will come absolutely unglued because they love them some I year there. So it'll be the throwing things of joy instead of the throwing things of anger. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I, if I was Mexican, I'd love him. I mean, I love him. I'm not even Mexican, so how can you not love <laughs> watching this guy fight? With that, we come to the main event of UFC Fight Night 237, a high-level possible title eliminator in the men's flyweight division between former champ Brandon Moreno and former title challenger Brandon Royval. Moreno, the 30-year-old Mexican, is 21-7-2 overall. He's 10-4-2 since joining the UFC out of the 24th season of The Ultimate Fighter. He is coming in off a loss. He dropped his uh, flyweight title to now champ Alessandro Pantoja at UFC 290 last July, the same uh, card where Rodriguez challenged Volkanovski for the featherweight title. A split decision, very competitive fight, but it put an end to uh, Moreno's most recent title reign. He'll look to get back on track and confirm himself a factor in the title picture at the expense of Royval, who will be looking to do the same. Uh, Royval, 31-year-old Colorado native, is 15-7 and seven overall. 
He's five and three in the UFC. Uh, his most recent fight was also against Pantoja. Uh, he challenged for the flyweight title last December at UFC 296, dropping a unanimous decision. Prior to that, he had been on a three-fight win streak over Rogerio Bontarin, Matt Schnell, and Matthias Nicolau. These two, of course, fought before. They met at UFC 255 uh, as part of the flyweight extravaganza atop that card. That was all the way back in November of 2020, and Moreno got the better of a wild first round to knock out uh, Roy Vall with like one second left. Both guys have done a lot since then, including a lot of, well, you know, uh, losing to Alessandro Pantoja. But here they meet, and, you know, while they both have some work to do to prove they deserve another shot at him, you know, uh, the the division's wide open right now. Uh, we have a comfortable favorite. Moreno is minus 250, Royval plus 200. I understand why. Uh, the the line is what it is. And I said this about Moreno, even when he was, uh, you know, he was the flyweight champ. He was in the middle of his incredible four-fight series with Davis and Figueredo. He was kind of crawling up the outskirts of the pound-for-pound the pound list. I always said that he was one of the UFC's most vulnerable champs. Like, not one of the worst, not one of the, just that his fight style made almost all of his fights super close. You know, obviously he had four fights with, with Figueredo and uh, all of them were pretty damn close. But even the fight with Royval, it's not like he just walked out and lamped him. It was a wild first round. Royval had some moments of offense as well. Moreno was just that much tougher, that much quicker, that much better and came out on top. And that's kind of Moreno's thing. Win or lose, he's always in close fights. But... Royval's problem has been exposed when he meets the best of the best of the best. And he's, you know, he's an incredibly entertaining fighter. He is an extremely skilled fighter. He has some rare physical tools, even in a division where basically the entire top 15 is standout athletes, but he's too wild. Like there, there's a bunch of wild men uh, in the kind of men's flyweight hierarchy. Davis and Figueredo was always kind of the most measured uh, of them, yeah. which is Here saying he is. something. He, 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 so he's Yair doing the uh, wakeboarding, but like he crashed, but he's still holding onto the rope. Yeah, <laughs> and, and he's still hitting the, he's still flipping in the air. Yeah. And he's going, hey, you bet, you, you bet, I could do that, like holding the rope in my teeth. What do you think? You know, like just some. <laughs> yeah, Royval, even by the standards of a division that has. Alessandro Pantoja and Brandon Moreno and Alex Perez and Matt Schnell, like just a bunch of wild men in the top 10 or top 15. He's, he's too reckless. He's such a good athlete. He has such good instincts, especially in scrambles and on the ground. He has such underrated power on the feet that it worked for him on the regional scene, even though he lost some fights he shouldn't have. It worked for him on the way up the UFC rankings. I mean, he beat good fighters. Uh, you can't take away that he finished Tim Elliott, finished Kai Kara France, finished Matt Schnell, finished Matthias Nicolau. Those are all guys that would be the perfect fighter to check a reckless up-and-comer, and they couldn't do it to Royval. He's just too good. But against the elite of the elites, they're just not phased by the the, the smoke and mirrors. Like, you know, Pan Pantoja was able to control Royval on the ground. He was able to win scrambles. Uh, 
he didn't let himself get drawn into like too much of a wild brawl on the feet. Moreno is wild, but he's composed enough to handle Roy well. He showed it in uh, their first fight. He was just that little bit more composed and that won the fight for him more than punching power or chin or anything else. Just he was uh, that little twinge of fight IQ. I think we get the same thing here. I don't think it's necessarily a first round finish. I think Royval will come into this trying his level best, knowing, okay, this is my last chance to get a, a, a win that makes me an undeniable title contender. And I, my last chance to not just be another action dude in this division. I think he's going to come out and try to fight a more composed fight, but he is who he is. Give me Moreno. I, I say this thing makes it to the final horn. Moreno probably wins four rounds out of five. And there's just, you know, one round where Royval gets the best of a scramble, spends the entire round on Moreno's back. And Moreno is like grinning and laughing while trying to fight off rear naked chokes. But for the rest of it, you know, like Moreno's the guy in, in control. Yeah. Give me Moreno by decision in one of those fights that it doesn't look competitive on paper, but each round is individually a whole hell of a lot of fun. Yeah. I mean, this, this is an absolutely incredible fight. Um, I mean, anytime you get flyweights in, in the main event, I'm always excited about that because regardless of, of, of what happens and how it goes down, you know, that the fight is, is going to be really good. And, 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 well, at least there's gonna be a lot of action. You know what I mean? So, uh, Brennan, Brennan Moreno. I mean, you're talking about besides being a crowd favorite, he's gonna I mean he's gonna be a huge favorite in this one. In the, you know, like this is a guy that yeah, he's he's Mexican, but like American fans love him. Uh, Brazilian fans love him. Uh, English fans, like everybody loves oh, that guy. Like UFC fighters' own moms like him. Like, I remember there was, like, this bunch of videos that started going around uh, either TikTok or Instagram of a bunch of UFC fighters just complaining that their that their own moms were, like, were like, Brandon Moreno is my favorite fighter. Like, when's he fighting next? You know, like, Adrian Yanez, you guys are like, what the hell's going on, you know? Like, yeah, everyone likes Brandon Moreno. Yeah. I want to give a shout-out to, uh, to my boy, Justin Peck, uh, who uh, – this guy got into MMA watching the wasn't that there was that season of the Ultimate Fighter show. He he you know he was root for Brandon Moreno because he was a 16 seed, and uh, that became his first favorite UFC fighter, and and that's still to this day Brandon Moreno. He, way, way to pick him, man. Uh, this sport is going to disappoint you from here on out, Mister Peck. Yeah, I'm afraid. <laughs> so uh, yeah, but yeah, he's been a fan for a while now, and I mean that was a good guy. That was a guy that didn't have the hype to be a champion, and and obviously he did. Uh, well-rounded fighter. I mean, great boxing, fast hands, one of the best jobs in the game. Generates good power because he sits on his punches, and he also lines up his shots well uh, by winning uh, the foot battle. Great kicking game. Uh, I, I love his. I love the way he he can end combinations and and hide his his high kick. Um, he like I I. I and he slips to it like he's really good at like slipping one way and then throwing that high kick over the top like similar to what Rob Whitaker does. He crushed Kai Kai France with a body kick. Uh, he's a good defensive striker. One of these guys, he's constantly bouncing head off the center line, making him hard to hit. Really kind of bob and weave style. Uh, he also has that like he'll block with his shoulders at time, kind of like Bernard Hopkins shoulder rolls. He doesn't check leg kicks. That's the you know one area. Figueroa had a lot of success in, in their third fight. Uh, he's also taken a lot of damage, uh, especially in those Figgy fights. Like the third fight, Figgy dropped him a bunch of times. 
I mean, that's what happens. You have 25 minute fight after 25 minute fight after 20. I think it was a five in a row. So, or, 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 no, five or six. He took, he took one fight in between. But yeah, uh, really good wrestler, very opportunistic to win. Like, you don't think of Brandon right now as like fantastic, you know, Jordan Burroughs type wrestler, but uh, he's just, he's, he's, he, he, understands the importance of takedowns and winning rounds. Uh, he's good at getting in the entries, cutting the corner well. Uh, he took Figueredo down in all four of their fights. He's good at winning scrambles. He's hard to hold down. Uh, he, he's good at, like, clearing his hip and Granby rolling and kind of getting a scramble going. Uh, good back takes. He is a submission threat. I mean, sub Figueredo in the second fight. Uh, he he is also hard to submit. I mean, look at look at the, you know, what Pantoja did to him. And, I mean, Pantoja is such an underrated fighter. It still doesn't still as a champion still doesn't get the credit, but you know, Pantoja had his back at times and different things couldn't sub him. Uh, Roy Val, obviously the athleticism, massive for the weight class. He, he's long and lengthy. He's a southpaw that kind of just flows. I said it last time, and, and a lot of my notes could be very similar. He he only fought a couple months ago, so um, he's having a really quick turnaround um, for a guy who went twenty five minutes. He, I said it last time that he reminds me a little bit of a prime Tony Ferguson where he's kind of – it's more about flowing than actually like setting things up. Good output. He throws long strikes down the pipe. He's got a good jab when he's letting his, you know, letting his hands go. Uh, but he does a lot of these crazy spinning attacks. He's got a great kicking game. Kicks to all areas of the body. He loves those teeth kicks up the middle. Uh, he loves stepping knees. He, he doesn't really care about defense, as, as you mentioned. He drops his hands, keeps his chin high in the air. I mean, Kai Kyle France cracked him for it. May I inter interject yeah, for yeah, a moment? Yeah, yeah. This is why you're the best in the business, because I spent probably like two and a half minutes trying to find a good way of saying that Brandon Royval might be the most recklessly aggressive high-level fighter in the sport. And you're just like, he's like a prime Tony Ferguson. Boom. Like five <laughs> words. And you just like torpedoed like two and a half minutes of, of me just – like thanks, man. Ho hosing, yeah, perfect. Yeah, thanks, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Prime yeah. Well, we'll go. I don't want to go on a rant on that, but I, yeah. I. Okay. Anyways, yeah. uh, um. So he he closes the distance really well. The landed strikes. He like he because of how long and, and he is. Uh, he uses his his size well in the clinch. He can toss up some knees and stuff. He will look to wrestle, but he's more of a guy that kind of just starts a scramble. Uh, he's a very weak defensive wrestler. Uh, he will he will jump on guillotines. Uh, he's a really dangerous grappler where you know he's got those long arms and he'll toss up submission attempts. But obviously, the higher you go up, the less likely you got to land a submission, and that's kind of the areas now. Uh, but he's very flexible. He kind of his grappling reminds me more of a like a weaker JV version of of Charles Oliveira, where it's it's all about catching things and scrambles. Um, fast. Suddenly, he's on something, kind of keeping your hips moving. His his wrestling style, a little funky Ben Askren style. He will stay on his back though for too long, looking for something. We saw that in his last fight against Pantoja. I mean, a lot of that has to credit Pantoja because of what an incredible grappler he is. Um, but he showed it in the first fight against Brian Moreno. So, um, as so as far as the prediction goes, um. Like, this, I don't see anything that makes me think that this fight isn't going to look very similar to what we just saw with Pantoja. Um, Brandon Moreno has already beaten him. I know there was like a freak injury that kind of thing happened, and, and but 
Brandon Moreno is say what you want about him. He's an intelligent fighter. He, I think he'll strike enough with him, kind of get in that mid range, strike enough with him to kind of get Roy Vell to open up. And then he's going to be dropping on those hips. I think he's going to give it takedowns. I think he's going to be rinse and repeat. I think he's going to beat him up. I think Roy Vell is going to show a lot more urgency to get up. I just think it's going to happen over and over again. And he's going to, by the time he kind of gets in a room and he starts stopping takedowns, I think it's going to be too late for him. I think he's going to have too many, too many rounds in the bank for Moreno. Uh, I like the four one, like four one. Like I can see, I can see him win. Like Ravel's good. Like if we're ranking flyweights, he's probably number three. <laughs> you know, I mean, <laughs> or, or four. You know, he's up there. So he'll make it competitive. I just, it's so. I, I, I kind of. I mean, with Pantoja being the champ, it's really tough selling anybody because he. I mean, he's got wins over. He's got a bunch of wins over Moreno. He's got, you know, he's got a bunch of wins over Royval. So it's 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 really hard to set up the next contender. I want Roy Val to be a top guy because of how fun he is. Uh, not at the expense of Brandon Rano because he's also really fun too. But um, yeah, I just, until I see Roy Val um, having a good game plan, fighting like a safe fight where, you know, he's giving himself the best chance of victory. He has things that give him a high, like gives him a chance to like get a big victory. But it's not the thing that the totality gives him the best chance of victory. So it's like the guy throwing up, uh, you know, lat drops and headlocks and wrestling. Like it gives you a big chance to win if you hit it. But overall, I, I think you're lessening your chance. So uh, I don't well, know if I said that. I don't know if I said well, that. To, well, I to, to, to pull out an example that you threw out there, obviously for several years, all we wanted in this sport was to see Tony Ferguson versus Khabib Nurmagomedov. But you and I both know how that fight would have looked if they'd actually fought. Oh, yeah. The, well, the more conservative, positionally sound yeah. guy. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't want to go to I – mean, I'll go to a little side rant for a second, and this is going to get me a lot of hate. I really think Tony Ferguson was right place, right time kind of guy. I, I never thought he was that good. Um, I think Connor was gonna Connor was starts him. Um, I think a lot of the top guys. I just, I, it, it, I think could be bored of Maldom. Anyways, um, give me Brian Moreno by decision. All right, that is it. The Sherdog Radio Network preview for UFC Fight Night Two Thirty Seven Moreno versus Roy Valtu, also known as UFC Mexico. I've been your host, Ben. He has been your expert, Keith. If this is your first time uh, uh, watching or listening to one of our previews, first of all, thank you. We hope you enjoyed it. We didn't have quite as much uh, sidetrack conversations and story time as as usual, but uh, normally we do our best to bring you as good a mix yeah. of actual in-depth analysis and uh, side tangents as you'll find anywhere in this business. Please do like, subscribe, uh, Drop us a comment. Keith and I both, man, the comment section. We'd love to hear your opinion on these fights. If you think any of our upset picks are out of our minds, let us know. If you think we've missed a good one, let us know. Uh, you know, we'd love to hear your take on these. I would normally say join us on the recap, but there is a good chance that there won't be one this week simply because uh, Keith has a wrestling tournament and then I mentioned off the top this is an all hands on deck weekend at Sherdog, sure where we have one of ksw's biggest cards of the year we have a card of the year candidate in bellator versus pfl and then we have uh ufc mexico and i know that i have 
fight day duties on the PFL versus Bellator card. So if I'm the only one who can make it and I haven't necessarily even watched the whole UFC card, uh, I'm not comfortable with that. So <laughs> a, a better reason than ever to follow SureDog on Facebook. Like I'm not telling you to follow me. I don't, I don't care. Follow SureDog on Facebook or sub, uh, you know, subscribe to SureDog on YouTube and we will let you know if that changes and there is going to be a recap. Uh, if there is, great. We'll talk to you Saturday night. If not, uh, we will see you a week from today as we preview uh, the next uh, weekend's UFC card. Between now and then, thank you once again for listening. Enjoy the rest of your week, and by all means, enjoy these fights. Enjoy these fights.